The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night, all day. Powerful Jacob Ward, but you prefer Jake, right? I do, yeah. Call me Jake. Jacob is very biblical. Dude, I got to tell you, I, I'm sold on all of your sponsors. Really? I, I don't know if oh, it's cool. them That's or awesome. you or what. <laughs> Man, I'm in. I see a lot of pitches during my day. You know, I spend my professional day like look at people are pitching me all the time. Stuff's cool. And you actually made the sound of the, of the, the name of the galaxy uh, sound cool, which is impossible. <laughs> That's the worst. That's the longest name for a phone. It's a great piece of technology with a terrible name. <laughs> Yeah, Galaxy X3, Galaxy Note 4. It's just too long. I know they've got a lot of phones, but man. I was just thinking that the other day. Why don't they just call it like something different? There's a lot of names (laughs) in this world, I'm here to tell you. Yeah, there, there's no need for that, right? Why does everything have to be note this and three and four S4 and X? And, I don't know. Yeah. But the tech, I mean, the stuff itself is amazing. And you're absolutely right that, like, a couple years old phone is a great deal. Like, the, those, they change so fast. Yeah, especially the Samsung phones. Yeah. With Apple, you have to wait a couple years for a new iPhone. Because right, each one has to knock it out of the park. You've got to go all the way with Apple. <sighs> yeah, but I'm, I don't have the confidence in them. Without Steve Jobs at the helm. I need a crazy person completely obsessed with success. Totally. This regular Tim Cook fella. He sure. seems like a regular dude. Yeah, I, I don't know enough about him. He's supposedly a very orderly person, which you would need. Like, at the very least, you got to run the yeah. hell out of that place. I think when he gets home, he probably relaxes. And I don't need that. I don't need that in my CEO. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need a guy <laughs> writhing around, angry. Yeah, pissed off at coders because they got <laughs> totally. something wrong in Google right. Maps with Tacoma. You know, That's right. That's right. Just fucking Tacoma, Washington's in the wrong place or whatever it is. <laughs> whatever it is that Steve Jobs right. used to go bananas for. That's right. How long have you been the editor of uh, Popular Science? So I had, a, I had a crazy experience. I uh, was the second in command at Popular Science for uh, five years. I was like the doer. And, uh, and then my boss decided to leave and I got promoted about seven months ago. And suddenly, like, I'm, I'm running a 140-year-old magazine. I'll tell you wow. right now, it's a big responsibility. And I am, I feel free, you know, I freak out each morning for five minutes. I'm like, I can't believe I'm about to go make these decisions. And then, boom, I go off and do it. It's a great thing. It's been the, an honor. Um, the, 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 the popular science episode that I, uh, or uh, issue that I quote to people all the time is the one way back in uh, the 1930s. Love it, yeah. Hemp, the new billion-dollar crop. Oh, yeah, totally. We were way out in, uh, in advance of that. That's yeah. what's cool about popular science. It's like we are, uh, we're at least five or ten years ahead of, you know, we put our flag into each issue if you look through history. Yeah. I can't take credit for that personally, but it's really <laughs> cool that it happens, you know. Yeah, that, that was on the cover of popular, uh, it was actually popular mechanics. Yeah, that's cool, that's cool. Uh, here, I'll clear up a confusion for a lot of people. People are like, why, why is there popular mechanics, popular you know, science, all this stuff, and, and why aren't we the same magazine? We're actually competitors, which is a f- weird thing, but it's because we date from the era when everything had the word popular at the front ah, of it. Yeah, popular portraiture, popular, you know, whatever. It was, the na- it was basically saying like, hey, normal person, come read this thing. You Un- don't have to be an expert. Unfortunately, I was incorrect. Um, popular science actually demonized marijuana. <laughs> That's probably true. We probably did. <laughs> Way back That's in great. 1936, it was when the government had uh, gotten their greedy little paws. I mean, let's let's be fair. You know, oh, that's yeah, the listen. depths of the depression. That like, is not everyone's you. freaking out. You know, that is not you, and that is yeah. not the popular yeah. science of today. And blaming true. popular science for that would be like blaming me for killing well, Indians. And to be truthful, like there's worse stuff than that in the history of popular science. We have ter- we have a cover in the middle of World War II that has a this like cartoonish Japanese racist guy. caricature of a Japanese guy. Yeah, yeah. and the re- and his. If you look at the Google uh, uh, archive that we have, and uh, bracketed on either side of that man's face is, you know, how we're going to drop missiles from, you know, tanks 
fighter jets, you know, like there was everything is military hardware on either side. It's a to look at the archives of Pompeii is to look at a, a like an art project that is the history of America and what we were thinking about at the time, but written in these you know really cool covers. So it's well, pretty sick. Back in the day, there was so much more responsibility too to kind oh, yeah. of d- deliver this kind of information. Joe, there wasn't I, that I, many. with all respect, you would not be on the air in nineteen you know oh, whatever thirty six. Like the the access to technology, right? The fact that you and I get to have yeah. this conversation, and people are listening. Right, which is such an amazing and wonderful thing, is so new. Like, I wouldn't have been on the air in '96. Oh, God. no options. Right. No options. That's interesting. You've anywhere. been in this game long enough to know, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's yeah, it's a whole new world. And and uh, uh, back then, you know, the pre Walter Cronkite man to get on yeah. the air. Holy cow, was that hard? You you know the amount of work, the amount of letter writing on letters yeah. to negotiate. You know whether that guy's going to be a guest on Cronkite. You know, oh my God. And the ability to control the public's perceptions of things back then was so complete. Sure. Like what Harry Anslinger and William Randolph Hearst did sure. with controlling the, the public's perception. Right. On, you had to be so you know, brilliant and kind of scary to yeah. rise to the top of the money heap and in a especially in the, and to have enough of a fortune that you lasted through the thirties. Like you gotta be a yeah, right? carnivorous human being. You know, yeah. you're a scary dude. And so. then if you put something in your magazine or in your newspaper back then, that was doctrine. There's well, yeah, but here's the thing where I would say, I, where I see where you're going with it, and I, I'm with you halfway there. I think the William Randolph Hearst of the world, you know, were very crazy and very rich and it was powerful stuff. But the people that you hire in to run your editorial product, you know, or you, the person you hire in to be your publicity guy, back then, I mean, you're, think, think about the generation that generated Apollo, right, and all that stuff. Like, those, those guys were raised in the values of... You do the best possible job you can. You repay hard work with hard work. And, you know, you, it, was, it was an earnest group. And so, you know, I, I'm like, like my dad uh, uh, is a writer. My uncle's a writer. Everybody in my family comes out of the sort of New York magazine world in some way. And it's a real meritocracy. People are really trying. Now, that said, there was a lot of other stuff. Everybody's white. Everybody's a man. Like, there's a lot of other limitations yeah. to the... The good old days. Yeah, the good old days. I mean, it's what it was. It's what it was, you know. <laughs> But now you know it's a it's a uh, you know but the, the to now be able to be on the air you know with you like this is just cool it's fun and more people can can listen to it than ever before everybody can listen to this it's all yeah, I've so heard, cool I've heard people say that they believe that uh, in today's era the Watergate would have never happened and that that sort of uh, sting operation Impossible. against the yeah. present oh my god not only would it not have happened it would be on five thousand Galaxy S three five whatever the you know <laughs> name of the phones are maybe so. Everybody would have filmed it. Yeah. You're not going to be able to get away with anything in the future, people. I'd like everyone to know this is an important message from Popular Science Magazine. Behave yourself. Yeah. Uh, uh, law enforcement is about to get serious. They're going to know exactly what's going on. Uh, here's a crazy thing that I, I did a story a little while ago about this. Um, there's a thing called IARPA, which is a, and I have to choose my words carefully because this is a sort of a, a complicated thing, but like, or a you know, sensitive thing. But anyway, IARPA is a is the it's an advanced research projects agency for the intelligence community, right? There's DARPA, which does it for the Defense Department. Uh, IARPA does it for a coalition. Each of like the you know uh, the NSF, CIA, whoever will kick in dough, and everybody funds little incubator projects of research to see you know can you do stuff. And you basically the way you what you do is you issue a challenge to the public, and you say anybody who can, who can do this gets a million dollars, you know, or whatever the prize is. And that's how robot cars first started out. You know, those guys in the DARPA urban challenge is how these Google self-driving cars are coming about. But this one, uh, there were these two projects that I bumped into. And the, and 
mind you, I'm, I can't tell you for sure that these that the implications of this are what I think they are. But here's what the programs themselves do. The challenge is, uh, the challenge is, uh, can you identify uh, visual information in video, basically, such that uh, if I um, am looking for, well, so here's the, here's the first challenge. The first challenge is from the visual information in the photograph, right? You're looking at a, a computer, looks at a photograph, and from the visual information inside of it, it knows exactly where the photo was taken. Whoa. Does that make sense? Right? Triangulate from the visual location information. And, and you know, right, you've got to be a hardcore New Yorker to be able to spot a photograph of any corner in New York City and know exactly where you are, right? That's a hard thing. Right. Imagine a, a computer designed just to do that thing, you know, a piece of software that can do exactly that thing. Would it be able to triangulate in anywhere in the world based on where the light source is coming I from? I don't know. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it would know, like, time of year. Right, it might be able to. Someday that's, that'll be possible. Then well, I think someone was busted recently with something. I don't remember the specifics of uh, the, what it was. was some, someone was claiming to be somewhere when they took a photo, and then some uh, analyst looked at the photo and oh. said, that's not possible because this photo was taken in this hemisphere totally. and the light right. source right. is from here, so it had to be taken in the afternoon. Totally. It's all data, right? That, that data is out there. It's just can you parse that data fast enough? And in this case, these computer programs are, are saying, okay, can you triangulate where everybody is? Then the, uh, another one they're working on is can you feed a query into the, into the, the data, the database, and have it return – uh, information not based on you know how like on YouTube you'll see uh, uh, you know tags at the bottom right I mean I'm sure on, under our you know tags Joe Rogan whatever those keywords help everyone search and organize it themselves right but this is a program that can go in look at the visual information of what's being shown in front of it and be able to come back with uh, a correct you know, a set of photographs or videos that, resp that you know, correspond to those search terms. Look at Google Image Search nowadays. You can you right. upload a photo, and it will show you pretty much every similar photo. It yeah. will show you where that photo is published. Uh, in both Facebook and Google, you've got the ones that where the, it says, who's this, right? right. I, I yeah. put pictures of my daughter up on the Internet, you know, to show my her grandparents, and... Uh, you know, uh, it'll say, who's this? You know, or whatever. There's a little question mark over her face. Like, who's this little cutie? And I'm like, I'm not telling you, Google. Yeah. You know, I, don't want to, I don't want you to know that. On the other mm -hmm. hand, Google, you know, there's, there's some good-hearted engineers there who probably have a really good, useful thing for us for being able to find pictures of your daughter yeah. wherever they are. I mean, that might be useful. You it know. would definitely be useful, but it seems you know. like we're resisting the inevitable with a lot of this uh, retaining privacy rights and oh, things like that. Oh, interesting. But dream the fight should night. go on, maybe. Yes, I think it should. I think it should, you first know. of all, because one of the real issues is that along the way on this fight, the the issue is being decided by people. People are yeah. deciding whether or not they can read your email. People in the government are deciding whether or not they can listen to your cell phone. And right. how are they qualified? And how are they moral? And how are they better than you? Or how are they as good as you? Well, we don't know anything right. about them, right. but yet they can look at your dick pics. <laughs> yeah, you're you totally know? right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's wrong. Yeah. It's, and, and how did they you're get totally to be a government person? Right. I mean, are they really ambitious? And are they really ethical? Or are they, are they someone who really seeks to change the world? Or are they just some schlub who, you know, backhand that is sure. way up to the top, sure. and, and now he's reading your email. I like to believe that the people, I, you know, I, I, I believe in civic institutions. I believe they really can function, especially when they come out of the generation. That's, you know, two generations ago, you know, there's some nice, there's just, there's some good, dutiful people still in this world. You know, and I'm, I'm very cynical about that stuff too, mm -hmm. but I, I, I'm surprised how often, like I was just at a thing the other day, 
uh, at the U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado. It was a, a, one of these challenge programs and these various students, you know, young, like undergraduate age, Air Force cadets, you know, Marines, whoever they were, were coming forward with their, like, cool science fair project, basically. And this little panel of generals was saying this one or that one. It was very cool. But uh, um, at the beginning of it, the guy who is running the show, the MC or whatever, you know, in military style, I don't know what an MC is, but uh, stands up, says hello, you know, describes the itinerary and said, but before I begin, I'd like everyone in the room to take a look at the emergency exits over to your left, and then there's one in the back, and then there's one over here. And as he pointed in each place, everyone in the room, military cadets, look to the one on the right and the one behind them and the one on the left. You know, they're, they're totally... Uh, and, and it turns out, like, when you go with the program, sometimes good things result. It's cool, like, to be in a place where when things catch fire, everyone runs for the exit in the way mm. that you're supposed to. You know, like, these Not guys... Not like a rap concert. Yeah, right. Yeah. Sure, right. But, you know, it's just cool. I, I find some of that order... You know, if you meet, like, a test pilot, those guys are <clears> just... Money. That's the world's most reliable person, you know. I definitely believe in discipline. Maybe not with a bottle of whiskey in them, but, you know. Yeah. But, uh, I believe in order and I believe in discipline, but I don't yeah. believe in other people controlling people. Well, that's and right. That's the real issue. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Imposing You imposing your values on me is not okay. Right. And uh, in, imposing the, the ability to control people by, you know, having their information. Right. right. It just it gets into weird areas when you don't know the motives of the people looking for the search or who's. It's just so gray as to like yeah. who's allowed that. And now the, the this government, this administration has made it so that there's all sorts of war, warrantless uh, wiretapping, warrantless yeah, yeah. Uh, um, arrests, and the ability to detain citizens without any due process. You totally. don't have to have a lawyer anymore. You don't. All the checks and balances that were in place. It's like someone's people. A lot of people unfairly think that if you criticize the way things are, it's like, oh, he's an anarchist. Oh, he. Absolutely not. I, I believe there should be a system of checks and balances, but I also believe there should be cops. I believe there should be lawyers. There should be judges. There should be jails. Because yeah. people, uh, human nature is that you know in the the real world, people fuck up. Totally. I mean, it, it, we're. I'm quite excited by the amount of like you were saying, Watergate could never have happened, right? We'd get been caught so quickly, right? The the amount of of sort of, um, you know, just the number of eyes on us mm -hmm. right now mean that people are going to behave themselves more and more, but only if there is the threat of punishment yes. for messing around with that. And and so I think that as as much as I want, you know, these incredible, you know, services, the kinds of things that you, you know, cheap software, uh, cheap, cheap website hosting is a great idea, yeah. you know, um, the cheapening and democratizing of stuff like your your sponsors, are, you know, represent that kind of thing. Um but in order for that to happen, you have to have the threat of law. You yes. know, you have to have that. Or the threat of anonymous. I think, huh. you know, one of the things that I love about the internet is the rise of citizen huh. activism. Whoa. And people who have, look, the morality of the anonymous internet is pretty outstanding. If you stop and think about yeah. the people that, that anonymous have gone after, you know, they've gone after some really fucked up people. And they've kind of decided as a group sort of just through the internet without yeah. even meeting in person. Yeah, this is fucked up. Let's expose this. Let's go after this. And I think that's really encouraging because yeah, when man. people are anonymous and they're, you know, they just have the choice to do whatever they want online totally. and yet they decide to try to right wrongs. It's the most uh, evolved form of democracy, right? It is so granular. Yeah. Like, you know, you've got a, a reliable way of measuring public approval or disapproval on Almost any subject you can think of by virtue of comments and the forums, you know, the participation that we're all suddenly having. I mean, it turns out when you take away the worry about being shamed in public, people really, you know, 
do bold things. They go out there and they write manifestos. And, yeah. You know, there's so many. I'm supposed to go off and do this uh, uh, speech to a, a, a my college, a, a writers conference, and I was asked in advance. You know, what's the what's it like to be a writer now? Is this a you know what is the state of writing now or whatever? And my feeling is like, it's so nice to be, it's such a good time. I didn't say this, somebody else originated this, but um, to be, it's so much of a better time to be a reader now than it mm. ever has been before. Oh, yeah. You know, so much cool stuff to read because everyone can write, everyone can get into print. I read this the other day that 90% of the world's data was generated in the last two years. <sighs> Sure. It's unbelievable how much data there is, right? And we can't, and, and it's a fire hose. We don't really know how to parse it yet. Yeah. Twitter is so primitive compared to what we're going to have in 10 years. You know? Yeah, what is going to be the next one? That's, uh, I never saw Twitter coming. I never thought, no. even when it came out, I was like, okay, what the fuck is that? Like, I know. 140 characters. It's, it's, all it's code. text messaging to right. anonymous people. Like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Right. And the, the guy, Jack Dorsey, who founded Twitter, has this brilliant thing where basically he was geeking out on. Uh, the patterns of cities. He was way into um, uh, uh, police scanners and stuff, and was tracking the the signals that um, like limo services ping back and forth. He was just interested in the like the the flow of information that is generated by cities. And he saw that ambulances and limo services and delivery trucks have a system for saying, "Where are you?" And then the truck can, says back, "Here I am." You know, there, there needs to be a, a system like that everywhere. And his thing was, let's give it to people. People don't have a system for reporting in their location and their status. And that's where status updates came from. It's interesting because that's what it used to be, but it's not really that anymore. What it's evolved right. to now, at least on my Twitter, my Twitter is all fascinating articles that people send me that I retweet yeah. or weird Your neighborhood of Twitter is, is different than mine. It's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've already acquainted with your fathers, and I'm like, oh, damn, like, that's a, you know, you get slaughtered up in here if, if you do something wrong. It's pretty well, amazing. yeah, there's. I'm used to this polite, little... popular science readers. Yeah, <laughs> this, this, these are freaks. These are people out there on the fringe with shotguns yeah. in Go the on, underwear. It's great. When the zombies <laughs> um, attack, I yeah. want your guys. You that's know? Right. My guys can't help me. That's so. right. They know how to rig oh, they, solar my guys power. Can, they actually. know how to hunt. Yeah, my guys would actually devise something, some piece of software that would yeah. control the Gatling gun and we'd all be safe. Well, no your noise. guys would devise a new method of power that didn't rely on oil. Yeah, so right. Just get together and, you know. Zombies. My guys would be burning wood. Yeah, we'll have zombies <laughs> like walking on treadmills forever, <laughs> generating power. Yes. Yeah, put a zombie in a dog collar and make him go to work for you like a gerbil. Popular Science was the only magazine my dad subscribed to as a kid growing oh, nice. up, like since the 70s. What was he your still dad, does today. What did your dad do for a living? He's what, an engineer. Oh, cool. Yeah. What kind of engineer? Uh, he builds huge batteries, backups, and no stuff kidding. like that, and huge things for huge companies. Like, That's great. Yeah, he's tried to retire several times. He's but like they, a they master electrical engineer. Yeah, I bet he's a part of the old breed. That's right. He knows what he's what he's doing. Yeah. That's so cool. Now, you guys have transferred onto the iPad. Yeah. Uh, now, have you noticed the subscription, the paper-based uh, is? is is dying for sure, no, so or is it? Here's what's so great about being about working for Popular Science, and this is why I'm so lucky to that it's this magazine I've inherited because there's a lot of magazines with a lot of problems. Popular Science is, is just like it's a universally beloved brand. Like even people who don't read it actively know, or or have never even read, it, know what it's about. You know, like, yeah. it, and so it's such a cool universal thing to just walk in anywhere and be like Popular Science, and it was like, oh, my, right. I used to, my, you know, my dad reads that, you know, whatever it is. And there's a cool sort of a hipster subset of like guys like me, I think. Anyway, that's what I imagine. Uh, you know, who who are starting to pick it up in their 20s. You know, dig it as like just a thing to to sort of geek out on. But 
it's got a really loyal following in every medium, basically. There's this, you know, there's a, the voracious internet hordes, you know, uh, the seething mass of, of internet guys come to our site and, and are really, you know, brutal if we get it wrong. They're great. I mean, they're exactly yeah. the kind of engaged audience you want. And in print, we have people who, you know, we pour a lot of effort into the print magazine. We really try and uphold, you know, you're paying money for it. Yeah. So, man, I, I'm working to make I'm, it as good as I can. I'm glad it still exists, too, it's in, in yeah. print form. It's great to take on an airplane. <clears throat> you know, it's great yeah. to uh, – it's, uh, it's beautiful visually, you know, and you, you can find out so much about various things. Now, this episode that you're uh, – or issue, rather, you're, uh, you're promoting is uh, the brain issue. Yeah, the brain issue. So, uh, you know, it's – it's an amazing – what's so cool about working with science is that we get to touch on everything, right? We can do robots. We can, I mean, literally, I, can, I would come here anytime you want, Joe, because, man, right, we can talk it. forever, dog. Yeah, yeah for it's sure. It's really fun. I like how you call me dog. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the, you know, the, the brain is one of many subjects we cover. This one is um, – uh, you know, it, what's amazing about it is how little we actually know. Like, mm-hmm. we are just starting to noodle around, uh, you know, just around the sort of the basic functions of the brain. We don't really have any idea how personality is built, you know. I mean, we have some idea, you know, but, like, the subtleties, like why we get along, whatever, all that stuff is totally unknown in terms of how the brain functions. But already, just by literally poking at the brain with, you know, zapping it and stuff, we can do amazing things already, you know, like ease the symptoms of terrible diseases and do all kinds of crazy stuff. But, hey, before we get into the details of that, because I, I, here's the, like, can we talk about uh, something I actually wanted to ask you about, which is um, sort of fear in general, the psychology, like, I'm just thinking about, like, the subtleties of personality and the mm-hmm. brain in general. I, I'm really interested by the, like, how different a person I am from the people that can handle fear in any real way. And you, I know, have... You had to watch people be really, really afraid for a living, you know, uh, and still do really uh, even more so. And even more so now. I was going to say now, as a matter of now that you're you're really doing, uh, you know, observe, excuse me, observing a sport that you love, uh, you see like how the people for me who can train themselves to be unafraid or can channel their fear in mm-hmm. the face of getting pummeled by a by a big person, right, by a big dude, like uh, is an amazing thing to me, and and. How that trait is expressed physically in the brain versus how, you know, a guy like me who's like, fuck, dude, I'll give you any money I've got. Don't beat me up. You know, like I'm not a fighter. Uh, The difference between our brains, like who knows what that is? That stuff is so subtle. Well, you don't need to be – you don't need to have the ability to perform under pressure like that. You don't think? No, but if you did, you would. Mm. You know, if your life depended on it, if you were in some sort of a walking dead situation and you you had to deal with fear – you would deal with it. You, so you, you think there's two kinds of people, basically. Like, I don't even think there's two kinds or no, of people. I'm sorry. That, right. That, no, I'm saying two kinds yeah. of people. Right. They, you're thinking just one kind of person, and, and it's just the choices you make. Yeah, there's survivors or, or people who die. I mean, right, right. literally, there's no – during most exchanges in civilized society, there's no need to be afraid of right. other people. There's no need to be afraid of violent altercations. It's very rare. Right. Unless you're in terrible environments, unless you're in war, unless you're in really, really bad neighborhoods, most likely you're going to be safe in San Francisco just going to your job and, and right. interacting with human beings. Yeah, yeah. But when you, you're forced to – 
in a day-to-day basis overcomes stress and fear and it becomes a part of your reality. And once it becomes a part of your, your reality in terms of performance, it, be, yeah. it almost becomes uh, something that you kind of have to be inoculated right, to. Right, like right. You start off slowly and like even stand-up comedy. The first time I tried stand-up oh comedy, my God. I was terrified. Terrifying. But that, now I'm not, I'm not scared at all. Now it's fun. Yeah. And, and that is like part of you, you, you've got to be competent. You've got to have your bases covered. And I remember competing as a martial artist. There was a big difference between how I felt when I was really prepared and how I sure. felt if I was injured or if I was sick or if there was something wrong or if I didn't train hard enough. When, when you have doubts, right. that's when you're in a really bad place. I would say, though, that the raw materials are distinct. Enough. I mean, we, we can agree, right, that the raw physical materials of people are, are you know, distinct from one another. Like my, mm-hmm. my wife is an Olympic, was an Olympic hopeful. She was a, a, a track and field runner. And... Uh, you know, her body and its strength. I mean, she had a 30-inch vertical. She's 5'8", you know, like, or 5'9", uh, you know, could hang from the rim, like has hang time, all this stuff. I, I used to play ultimate Frisbee in college, you know, whatever. I took her out a few times to, to play it with us. And, like, we'd never had a real athlete play before. Like, she was out running all the dudes, you know, all that stuff. There's just there's distinctions between people that I think – uh, you know, are just part of the thing. And I think there is an expression of that in the brain, that the brain is built differently for different things, which is not to say that, that uh, not to say that you're wrong. No, no, no. But the, that, the but question just, is, you know, is that are those physical distinctions from her gifts from the womb or is it from constant focus I think on it's a little of both. athletic activity? I think it's a little of both. I mean, you know, fast yeah. twitch and slow twitch muscles. I mean, we know, sure. we know that, the difference between that, like, you know, uh, long calves versus the ones that are high and tight. And, you, you know, there's, there's jumping ability, there's sprinting ability versus being able to run long distances. There's just, there's just distinctions between people physically. It doesn't mean anything other than just genes are out there that's what's amazing so with the brain with the 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 way that it uh is distinct uh, you know can do amazing things like we're literally putting pins into brains now delivering a little signal and turning off you know seizures and turning off stuff like it is triggering memories right yeah triggering memories we there's a so so uh there's basically a new category of a thing called uh, biomechanical engineering where They've taken, you know, guys like your dad uh, who uh, might have, you know, who like to tinker and are good at that, right, and turn that into, uh, combine them with, you know, a a little bit of medical training or maybe pair them up with a medical student. There's programs that do that. And being a biomechanical engineer, they're literally creating little devices that will do stuff. And so in one case, um, the uh, – in the case of of dementia, it's basically – Putting a pin, essentially, imagine a pin into the brain and and delivering a little jolt. Um, but first, you have to pick out the pattern. Um, so in this case, it was it was monkeys uh, that had uh, uh, been taught a cartoon game, basically like a turnover and match the cards kind of game. And uh, when they got it right, that signal, the the computer picked that up, right? Software recorded that pattern. Then later, when I don't know if it was the same monkeys or new monkeys, forgive me, but um, when they played again, uh, they would use the signal to encourage, to stimulate the part of the brain that had lit up when, they, when the monkey got it right last time. And they found that they could increase the accuracy of the monkey ten by 10% on a consistent basis by jolting them right before they were about to make a decision, like hitting them with whatever the signal was at that time. Wow. And then, this is the other crazy part of it, they then hit those monkeys with a, each with a, a hit of cocaine and watched their, you know, they, they fell off by 20%, basically, from their normal abilities in that game. Then they started doing this zapping again and could restore them to normal uh, ability again. 
right? So the trouble in this case, though, I mean, or the reason that this is still a decade or more from being possible in humans is we don't know, you know, life is not like a game of flashcards. You don't know what the signals are that you're going to want to prompt ahead of time or whatever. But they think that there's some memory stuff that might be, you know, we, that we could in, in future sort of improve our memory, right? You have a little signal processor and a thing that would zap the right spots of the brain or whatever, you know, could someday... It really is uh, such a fascinating time um, in regards to what we were saying earlier about uh, data and information, but also in the fact that we still have so much to learn when it comes to the, the human mind and the, uh, yeah. the ability to recreate it, which is something that scientists are really actively focusing on right now. Right. I found a, uh, an article in your magazine that I've thought was really amazing, nice. where scientists had created a tiny artificial brain that exhibits 12 seconds of short-term memory. Yeah. How nuts is that? <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. Wow. You know? Exactly. How long before one of those is in your pocket? I know. I know. You know, I and know. has all the information of the entire universe You know what's a, now. Totally. What's a real, I was just uh, hanging out with it, this one of these total boy genius uh, kids, this guy, uh, a brilliant guy named Azar Raskin, very smart dude. And he was uh, pointing out a thing to me about Google, uh, where evidently one of the chief sort of uh, you know math officers, essentially, of, of Google uh, basically released this paper in 2000, 2001 that said uh, that it doesn't matter how good the software is, data, the more data you give, you're always going to outperform soft, even the best software. So basically, like, really good software given a small data set is not as good as mediocre software given a huge data set, right? And so data is what is what gives you your correct answers every time. So you don't, in fact, need the little brain. What you need is a little device that connects to the whole big brain, right, to the, like, the world of, of data around well, it. Well, that's sort of analogous to an educated person. Right. You know, I mean, uh, if a person is a, a clever, street-smart person right. or if a person is just of average intelligence but very well-educated, right. you would, you know, m- much rather go to that person. Yeah, to try the to intellectually out. curious, right? Yeah. The guy who, likes wants to find out the answer. Or has access. Yeah, or has access. Yeah, right. I mean, if you, there's a lot of really smart people that probably live in Siberia and they're forced to work a trap line catching minks and shit, you know? I mean, if, there, if you don't have data and you don't have access to, to more data, that's that's who you are. That's what you do. Right. You will excel in your field, but your, you know, your ability to actually do things will be completely limited by the data that you have right. access to. Right, right, right. It's cool just to see how, how you know, people are being given so much more data than they used to, right? Yeah. It's really hard to be sort of an ignorant person these days just because there's so much information coming at us now it's also hard to pay attention to everything oh yeah it's like there's not enough i literally find myself sometimes i come home and uh, it'll be my kids are all asleep and i'll just get on the internet at 10 and before i know it it's 3 30 and i'm still reading things and watching videos and i'm like just shut this fucking (laughs) thing jesus it's like shut up hive mind yeah but i can't help it (laughs) and i i really find myself uh struggling with disconnecting from uh, yeah. Twitter, 
And I've, I, I have not mastered it, but I know a guy who turns it off for, he, he goes to places without internet connection. He takes his laptop to places that don't have an internet connection. Uh, maybe that'll be a new like hip thing, right? Would be like places that don't have Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. uh, you know. But you can go there with a computer and sit without Wi-Fi, and he just and that's where he does writing or whatever, you know, any actual thinking he has to. Because yeah, I'm like you, man. I get distracted. I'm addictive. I do my writing that way, um, where I don't go online. I have this uh, this program called Write Room, and uh, what it does is um, it allows you to see only the text on the screen. Nice. The screen goes black, and it's green text on the right. screen, and I just. The most limited word processor. Right. It shows you when you're spelling things wrong, and that's it. Perfect. And then when I want to go back and like Google certain things, I have like little highlights in certain areas, and I'll go back to those, and then I can get online and do the rest of my research. But I find it's too easy to look at porn. <laughs> it's just too easy. It's just way too easy. The to stuff just... is perfectly designed to yeah. get your attention. Oh, it's so quick. Yeah. And, and by the way, with like Google Chrome, all you have to do is press Y, and it goes to you jizz. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you don't even have to do much more than that. That's because you go to YouTube. I know because... what it is. I know when, when if I'm like looking at a um, something or I want to show my wife something, I gotta press Y O U T so fast. <laughs> I know. I gotta go through Y O U and then T. Uh, I can't because and she's a clever one. She she's over my shoulder and she sees me hit that Y. <laughs> I'm thinking about just. Putting it in the fucking bookmark bar right there, a little YouTube link. Just, to just, click. just click the pri- just click the private browsing thing on uh, Safari, which makes it so it has no cookies or anything. I don't use Safari. She's I find Safari to be whack. But they have it in Chrome too, I think. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoy Chrome. I love the fact that in Chrome I can go to the uh, the uh, HTML uh, to the address bar rather and just type a question, yeah. and it'll take me to you know a Google search. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, that is just, it's, we live in awesome times. It really is awesome. But still, um, I've described this as this, this time we live in now as the roaring 20s of the digital era. Oh, yeah, nice. Where you could still go like this, and you know, we don't have to have a license. We don't mm-hmm. have to you know, talk to government official and get a license. And, and it's still rare enough that we're popular. Right? Yeah. This, is, this makes us, you know, we're, we're in that, we're like, you know, 7.5% more famous than other people. You know, or whatever. Right. Someday, right, that... that that percentage is going to drop down because everyone's going to have access. You know? Sure, and there's also a lot of people online that were never famous before and got famous because yeah. of their online content, yeah. which is really amazing. Amazing. Comedians, amazing. I know comedians like our friend Russell, Russell Peters. Russell Peters became famous because of YouTube. Is that right? Yeah, people wow. found his clips on YouTube, and now he sells out the O2 Arena in London wow. two nights in a row. Wow. That's like 18,000 people. This, the the like whole generation of those like you know out of nowhere, literally out of nowhere, uh, uh, success stories. Yeah. It's so cool. And it's so modern. That's totally what we, like this era made that possible. Yeah. I love the ability to distribute content, the ability to distribute artwork and podcasts and, and, and comedy shows on, on, on YouTube or totally. what have you. I think it's just, is the most amazing time ever for self-promotion, self-publishing. Sure. You know, it's just we live in really cool times. Like you say, I mean, like we were saying earlier, it's a great time to be a reader. You can anybody can can write. There's people, you know, tapping out whole novels on their phones. Yeah, like, there's oh, cool yeah, stuff yeah. out there. You know? Well, didn't Stephen Wright like write a whole novel on Twitter? Oh, is that true? Yeah, he wrote a whole <laughs> novel, great. 140. Is characters that right? That's funny. I hadn't heard that. Guy's crazy. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Um, yeah. Is there anything in this episode or this issue that deals with a very controversial issue of antidepressants and their effect on the human mind? Yeah, I saw uh, people asking about uh, about that. So, 
you know, antipsychotics. Here's one thing that I'll say about uh, or SSRIs are not antipsychotics. Yeah, not sorry, not SSRIs. I don't have I don't have a good informed opinion on mm-hmm. antidepressant on antidepressants. I just don't know enough about it. I wouldn't I wouldn't know how to comment on that intelligently. I will say that you know antipsychotics, which are a sort of you know an extreme thing, right? There's all kinds of of uh, you know incredible research being done, you know, but we're still, it's still very early days in our understanding of what drugs do to the brain and what happens here and there. And so, you know, antipsychotics, there's, there was a statistically significant group of people in a, I think, God, I'm going to misrepresent this, but um, basically I was talking to a university professor who had done this study about, um, she was a clinical psychologist who had done a study about people taking antipsychotics and a certain number of, of, uh, the patients were so transformed by a, this new generation of antipsychotics that they dis, that they voluntarily went off them to go back to the hallucinations that they'd had before. Wow. It's not a lot of people. I don't want to misrepresent the number, but it was a statistically significant group of people, which means that there are people whose, rea- whose for whatever reason, their reaction is, I would rather, so in one of the cases that she described was a, uh, a man, a homeless man, who believed that he was uh, being pursued by the Russians, you know, and was living in stark terror in this kind of Cold War nightmare uh, every waking moment. And he was homeless and so forth, but just utter, a ruined guy. He goes, he gets, begins to get this antipsychotic uh, medication, and uh, these, and and it turns off not just your hallucinations, but it also maintains your ability to reason and function. You know, it, mm-hmm. it can be very helpful sometimes <clears throat> if it if it works. And I'd like to point out that's not always true. Um, but he was so destabilized by discovering that nobody wanted him. The Russians didn't want him. Nobody wanted him. He's just a homeless guy, <laughs> right? I mean, he's just, yeah, he's just a bum dude. And he was like, but he was bummed out. That yeah, because nobody... because he wasn't special anymore, right? <laughs> he was the star of his own action movie for so long, you know. And and poor guy. And he and he voluntarily went back to to being to living that life. You know, wow. he took the blue pill and then whatever it was, and then wished he hadn't. Well, I would like to see what he saw before I made any sort of a judgment on him, because who knows? He might yeah. have been living in an awesome world, like a Winnie the Pooh ride totally. in Disneyland. Totally. You know, just neon colors everywhere right. and fucking Russian agents hiding behind <laughs> two-dimensional right. trees. Driving a, Camaro, <laughs> driving a convertible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who knows what he actually saw. Um, antipsychotics, uh, uh, although uh, uh, a fascinating subject, is uh, quite different from the uh, SSRIs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which I, I think uh, the SSRI subject is a really, really interesting one. Yeah, what's your feeling about it? I mean, do you do? You I don't need them, so I'm, I feel like <coughs> it would be really uh, silly of me to make a judgment in one way or another. Yeah. Um, I don't have any personal experience with them, but I do have friends who have had personal experience with them, and including and. People that I really respect that they change their life for the better. That's right. So uh, I, I definitely think there's uh, there's certainly a benefit to them. And there's sure. a, I mean, and, and I don't know. The other thing is which one. You know, I have a friend and uh, he got on some antidepressants and they started him off on one and it sucked and then they, right. they quit, switched that and got him to another one. How do you feel on this? Yeah, you know, and then right. they they doubled his dose, and I'm like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, they don't have like they, they don't do a blood test and give you a very specific. Well, you, this, this is, is what of, you weigh. This is exactly the thing. Like, yeah. we don't know how it works in the brain, right? The the blood brain barrier is uh, this. You know, basically this the body's system for keeping things 
only the tiniest molecules from passing into your brain because mm-hmm. it's such an important organ. Like you, no one gets in, right? It's VIP. Except weed and booze. <laughs> get right in. They do get right in. They get the front of the line. So, uh, you know, the the ability of you know medications coming through that barrier to to you know change your mood or your outlook on life. It's such a, a difficult thing to predict. Wow. Um, yeah, and not only that, it's so variable between human beings that it's it's one person would describe you'd, you'd almost think you're dealing with a completely different substance. One person's reaction to another. Sure. <clears throat> For some folks, it's mild. For other folks, they have horrible side effects, and yeah, and and they can't tell until they put you on it. Right. It's, it seems like there's so many variables when it comes to any sort of a medication that affects the mind because you're dealing with who knows how many thousands of generations of genetics where your origin was like it's pretty well known that certain people uh certain nationalities have a difficult time with alcohol because Mm. they don't have a cultural history of it they don't have a genetic history of it well the truth is human beings don't have a a history of alcohol we're not we're not evolutionarily you know supposed to be drinking booze stuff is poison in terms of just the toxicology of it but but we evolved literally i mean there's 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 a whole field of evolutionary biology that studies uh, the moment that we began to drink alcohol, and it was, you know, I, I don't even, I couldn't even guess when, you know, it's probably, you know, 5th century BC or something, something, you know, way long time ago. Um, but the the idea was that, or one theory is that you would drink it in order to survive eating rotten meat. Yeah, you know. traveler's poisoning, they would call it. Oh, is that Traveler's true? sickness, huh. yeah. Huh. They would drink wine with all of their food because the alcohol in the wine they thought totally. would kill rotten meat. Totally. They That's hadn't really figured out how to refrigerate look, things. Look at you, Joe Rogan. You yeah. want a job? No, thanks. <laughs> um, I also read a fascinating thing about the origins of um, alcohol being that it was with honey. Huh. That they had figured out a long time ago that honey was a preferred method of storing things in because it prevented uh, deterioration, prevented uh, things right, it's a spoiling. And one of the things that happens with honey is that it ferments and it becomes mead. Mm. And mead, Delicious. yeah, this was um, one of the theories of Terence McKenna on the uh, changing of the cultures from earlier psychedelic-based uh, mushroom cultures to uh, cultures that were more alcohol-based huh. was that they started storing their mushrooms in honey. And uh, that a very... <laughs> That's so great. Dis- uh, is that true? That's so I funny. I don't know. I mean, That's I don't think great. there's... I think any history older than 6,000 B.C. is like, who knows? (laughs) Good luck. Good luck. That's right. Try to figure that out. But they know that uh, many, many cultures were uh, preserving mushrooms in various ways. Some of them were uh, drying them out over the fireplace. They were doing all these different things with mushrooms. And they know for sure they started storing them in in honey. And they also know that there was climatological changes where mushrooms weren't growing in areas anymore. And they had to switch to different Toxicants, and then the raping and the pillaging started. Oh, and then wow. shit got crazy. <laughs> <laughs> According to McKenna, at least. Uh, that's but, great. Um, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, but mead, that's a lot of people don't know that alcohol uh, made with honey is uh, an early intoxicant. I have to tell you, though, I once went to a wedding where uh, the only drink it was, it was announced to us when we arrived would be honey mead that the, like, the groom's brother or something had made. And everybody had only mead. And, I, you know, I, it's not like I hold it against people, but, I, you know, I would have happily paid cash for a con- <laughs> for a whiskey cocktail, you know, like oh my god. And what does it taste like? It, it's uh, it was like, um, oh man, I don't know. It's like weak. It's like a cross between wine and beer almost, but but sort of a sour 
be sweet. You know what I mean? It's a weird drink. I didn't like it. I didn't like Did it. Did anybody like it? No, I would say like the whole <laughs> wedding was people dumping the stuff into people into <laughs> plants. You know? Dead plants <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and and over and over again, somebody would stand up and be like, and raise your meads oh, to whatever you know. They'd God, just be like, all right, fucking dork. Exactly. Are they Dungeons and Dragons players? Probably, probably. Oh, people are so silly. Uh, that's right. Only Careful, these are my people. Only me. Yeah, yeah, they're probably right. my people too. But that's they're right. still fucking silly. Yeah. Not that it's bad to be silly. I'm pretty. I silly. was a big D and D guy. That yeah, was yeah. My, that was my thing. Yeah, we're, we're, that was <laughs> totally roll the dice. Totally. I'm six cast seven. Spells. I, I should have been playing basketball, but I was inside like casting spells. Yeah, really, rolling well, D twenty. The world draws you, or the universe draws you to. Yeah, where you'll be safest. Things. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you're safer rolling dice and drinking mead. Yeah. Mead is a weird choice. Hmm. The guy dr- dr- makes it himself. Is that what it is? I guess so. Yeah, he was room? making it himself and was was. Um, I've never heard of that. I've yeah. heard of people making wine. I've never heard of anybody making their own mead. Yeah, I don't know. It was definitely a, a, a where I went to college. There was a, a, a house of uh, Renaissance guys, uh, and and at one point they uh, uh, they would practice basically in the courtyard of the dorm. And when uh, one of my friends figured out that uh, if you yelled "hold," it was the super secret signal for them to all that somebody had been hurt. You know, somebody had been like you know, poked in the eye with a Nerf sword or whatever. And uh, they would all go down on one knee. Uh, and it was like their practice thing for like taking a time out. You know, it was like stop hurting each other. And uh, and so for like, you know, for about a week, you could trick them every time. You could just yell hold across the courtyard and make all of them kneel. <laughs> <laughs> but it only lasted for a second. So those oh. are my people, man. I love, I love it. The best kind. Have there ever been any studies um, on figuring out what it is, what the process is with uh, people that can't handle alcohol versus the people who have a I'm sure. history. I'm sure. I don't know what it is, but yeah, I mean, you know, it makes sense, right? It's just it would be like how long did people have the gene that allows them to, you know, turn the liquor into sugar, you know, or whatever. Like I don't know what the what the um, what the distinction is, or if they've discovered that, or but and I'm what's sure the someone's studying it. for blackout drunk. Right? <laughs> what is that? Isn't right. it just tolerance, though? Your I mean, brain like, just oh, says no, enough. Man. When I, you're young, one beer got you drunk. You know, right. the more you drink it, now like I, I could drink a million beers and no. not get blacked out. But that's yeah, not I, true. You can't even drink one without slurring. The fuck are you well, slurring is different than blacked out. It's but, true. Yeah. But, but like if I, I drink out. Jack, if I if I drink Jack, yeah. I'll black out. If I drink, if I drink, I mean, literally, if I get past five or six beers, I start to be on the verge. Yeah. I'm, the, a, the, I'm a mess. The I'm a blackout mess thing is fascinating to me because some folks, I've seen people who are quote unquote addicts mm. and uh, they can't do anything. They can't drink. They can't smoke. They can't do anything. They'll drink coffee. You know, right. coffee apparently is okay. Um, but if they have one drink, they're gone. They're mm. off to the races and mm. they're doing heroin and sucking dicks for cash money to get home, whatever. They, they just, they, they don't know what happened. They don't know what, what it is. But for me... I can get fucked up, and I still remember <laughs> pieces and chunks, and I get home, and right. you know, I, 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 I don't really black out. Huh. So I have a good friend that fucking blacks out. Yeah. I mean, completely right. blacks out. You give him two drinks. <laughs> Our friend Joey Diaz says is the Indian in him because he's Mexican, and Mexicans were part Indian, uh-huh. part Spaniards. Um, 
that the Indian in him kicks in and he's gone. Huh. He just vanishes. It's no longer there. You look in his eyes, looks like a gerbil. He's got gerbil <laughs> eyes. You know those ger- you know you look at a gerbil, that motherfucker doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> that's that's what he I don't what is the, I mean there, do you know what that mechanism is? I don't know. No, I don't know the enough about mechanism? it. But I uh, I mean, you know, I th- like I say though, the stuff is poison. Eventually your brain your body is going to say, "Okay, enough. Good night." You know, it's yeah. gonna, it, it's going to paralyze your arms so they can't lift any more of it to your mouth or whatever, you know? There's um a lot of new research being done on um, substances uh, that act as a vaccine for addicts. Huh. Are you, are you aware of any of that? Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. I mean, some of the one of the pieces that we uh, um, are looking at here is a thing about exactly that. Basically, it's a it's a it's a piece of technology that allows you to uh, head off um, uh, seizures um, and lets you basically. Uh, uh, not only deliver an electrical signal into the brain, but also a pre- very precisely timed uh, jolt of medication. So your, you know, your uh, ability to to not just, you know, it, it does it affects not just your um, uh, the function of the brain at the time, but can also like guide it a little bit, basically. So the way it's designed is like this tiny little. Uh, you basically end up with a, a film. A, a molecule thick, basically film of um, uh, basically film on top of this electrode, and when you hit it with a negative charge, the film releases a medication deep inside your brain, and it'll turn off seizures. And they think that they, it can also do stuff with uh, that. It might be able to help ward off the effects of Parkinson's. Basically, seizures happen. You know, everybody, every oh, so many kinds of ailments can cause seizures. Right? It's super useful. So, and they also think they could use it to to turn off some of the addictive impulse that it could detect, you know, I don't know how they would do this, but somehow they would detect the signal in your brain ahead of time that signals, or maybe it's, you know, the environmental thing of like, you know, he's alone, he's been alone for the past two days, who knows how it could be triggered. Mm. And then boom, it hits you with this thing that, that, you know, jolts you up a little bit, wakes, you know, gets you up again. Do we know the difference between the, um, a, a physical addiction in the mind and these strange addictions like gambling? Sure. I mean, you know, it's the reward mechanism in your brain. Your brain is is a um, basically is is rewarding you at all times for whatever it is you're doing. You know, with a nice feeling, you get a little jolt of of serotonin uh, for having done the right thing. You know, a lot of the time, that's sort of a, a guiding principle of your body, basically. And so, you get a little thrill from things like Twitter, checking Twitter, right? Or you know, there's a whole body of, of uh, writing that's been done about this, like the the addictive nature of picking up new information all the time, and how that's why we can't get away from the internet. Uh, Sometimes there's no reward, and you still do it. Yeah, well, it's right. It's compulsion. That's yeah. the thing. It becomes a tick, right? It's a compulsion. Your brain forms pathways. It it, be, it literally you physically re-architect your you know rearrange the architecture of your brain. Uh, to reward yourself deeper, more and more deeply for that addiction over time. Um, so gambling is exactly that kind of thing. It's, you know, what will I get? You know, what's the little reward I'll get? You know, and there's the the expectation of it, the temptation of it, all of those things. Plus then it does pay off sometimes, you know. It's a crazy, uh, it's a, just your brain is an elastic thing. It's, it's changing and adapting to keep you alive and, you know, doing your, you know, doing the best you can, uh, no matter the circumstances. So, you know, if you expose, if you're exposed to an addictive thing enough, it's just going to adapt to that thing. Are you aware of the correlation that studies have done about correlation between brain damage and addictive uh, behavior to gambling? No. Uh-uh. Yeah. Uh-uh. yeah, we had a friend in here, used to be a boxer, uh, the president of the UFC, Dana White, 
who uh, has been hitting the head a bunch, and uh, he gambles like ridiculous. Like he's no he's lost a million dollars in a night, huh. and he's won one six million in a night. Yeah. Has he ever like has he ever sought a professional opinion as to why that is? No, nope. he's rich. He just keeps gambling. Cool. Well, yeah, <laughs> just keeps, keeps if you can roll it. <laughs> you can, man. Go. You know. But um, he also has had uh, a, a brain scan because he was hmm. uh, gonna enter into a boxing match about six years ago. And when that happened, they found spots on his brain. They're like, yeah, you've been you've been hit a lot, dude. Huh? Huh? Yeah. And, huh. and that the fact that he's uh, addicted to gambling, crazy, fascinating. Yeah. You know, the the correlation between the two of them, it's well, like so, there's damage, so your brain's just like constantly urging and this yeah. this impulse to seek these rewards. We so not to you know selfishly steer this to my magazine, but uh, in this issue of the magazine, we have a uh, a thing about um, a uh, basically. You know, savants, right? The idea of being a savant, right? You're this, this, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, you know, it's, it's the idea that you're just this, this perfect, uh, 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 incredibly skillful, just master of a thing, whatever that thing is. And um, there's a, a be, basically, it's the story of, the, of this guy, Derek Amato, who was a, uh, he was a, you know, pushing 40, uh, uh, you know, you know, normal guy. Uh, playing uh, football in a pool with his friends in Sioux City, South Dakota, where he's from. And somebody throws a pass to him from the jacuzzi. He leaps into the pool for it, and he whacks his head really hard on the bottom of the pool. And, you know, comes up and thinks that he's, like, broken his skull. You know, he's clutching his head, you know, really in agony. Goes to the hospital. He's got a very serious concussion. And they, But they send him home. You know, there's nothing really to be done. Uh, and so they send him home, and he sleeps for, like, four days, basically. He wakes up. He goes over to his friend's house, one of the friends that was with him when he uh, was playing uh, football, and uh, sits down at the guy's piano or keyboard or whatever and just begins to play the piano and has never really played the piano wow. before um, and begins to just, uh, you know, can do the triads, can, you know, he's doing all the fancy stuff. And uh, the he then immediately, of course, goes on the Internet and is like, Jesus Christ, what's going on? And it, he said it was like an itch that he needed to scratch. It was satisfying to play in a way that he couldn't, you know, had never experienced before. So he looks online and discovers that there's a whole field of study called uh, into what's called acquired savant syndrome, where you pick up a, a miraculous skill like this from some sort of debilitating, you know, brain damage or whatever the thing ends up being, and that. And so he was led to a, a researcher who diagnosed him as having this thing. There's like fewer than thirty documented cases in the world. Wow. Uh, but it happens, and I'll just tell your listeners right now: don't go whacking your head on stuff like right. it really doesn't work How out. How is that possible? Is that from memory? Well, this is what they're trying to figure out, and so there's two things, there's two competing theories about it. One is, and neither the, it may be that one of them is wrong. So let's all keep that in mind. But uh, one of the theories is that when you damage a part of the brain, the the you you can sometimes damage a part of the brain that had been inhibiting. The other half of your brain, basically, the right brain, you know, is, it was inhibiting the left side. And by damaging the right side, your, the left brain becomes disinhibited. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that they, one of the examples that they <clears throat> use is, you know, as we get used to stuff over the course of our lives, we begin to develop a shorthand for it in our brain, right? You don't pick out the details anymore. You're picking out the, the very general landscape. I was just thinking about this on the drive here, right? We're driving through Burbank and, and you know... I was looking at a truck and thinking to myself, how would I see that truck if I was seeing it for the very first time with, you know, with that side of my brain disinhibited? Every rivet, right? Every little reflector and the, and the panels inside the reflector, like just tripping on the details. And instead, my brain can go, truck, 
and and boom, I'm I'm on to the next thing. And so that kind of shorthand, they think, gets maybe scrambled, disrupted in some way when the when you damage a part of the brain, and suddenly you're seeing everything fresh again. And so there's a whole world of guys who who can do amazing new things, and there's a whole new world of people who do artistry, uh, dementia people with, who are old and have dementia, uh, uh, develop an artistic flair all of a sudden. With yeah. the um, the savant syndrome, is there um, uh, like a loss correlation? Like they lost this, and so now all of a sudden that it almost always comes at a terrible <clears throat> cost. Yes, you know reasoning. You know something will come out. You know and you'll have people who are severely. Uh, you know, some of the some of the most uh, amazing savant stories are people who are very developmentally disabled in other ways. Yes. You know, somebody with an IQ of 54, a verbal IQ of, of 54, this one kid uh, could uh, listen to p- uh, piano on TV once and play it perfectly, whatever it was, Tchaikovsky in a movie, and he'd sit down at the piano and play. Uh, and so he, but he's severely developmentally disabled. This is somebody else who's, who's that's not an acquired savant. That's just right. a famous savant case. So in some of these cases, yeah, it comes at these terrible things. He has pain, you know, and this guy has pain, has all kinds of, you know, terrible debilitating things from his head injury, but can suddenly play this, this stuff, you know? And so, uh, the other theory about it is, is maybe in the dying of a part of the brain, there's weird electrical activity that, you know, supercharges either the area in some way or, you know, this again, they don't know enough about the brain to really have any idea. We barely understand concussions. You know, I mean, actually, we have a pretty good grasp on concussions, but we, you know, have no experience protecting people from them, you know, and all of that is because the brain, just our understanding of it is so new. What is the thought on people that have autism and can do amazing things? Yeah. Like, have you seen the young man that can look out a window from a plane yeah. and draw a picture? The British exactly? gentleman, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's what? unbelievable, right? It's unbelievable. insane. If you've never ever seen the video, folks, just uh, Google it. I believe his name, uh, someone on the board posted it, Stephen Wilshire, DJ Crackpot. Nice. Thanks for putting that up there, buddy. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's his name. Um, the... the the uh, ability to do things that a normal person would literally never be able to do ever, and this guy can do it every yeah. single time. Right, right, right. What is the thought that the mind is still evolving and advancing, and one day we're all going to possess those sort of oh, abilities? Wow. I haven't, I, I haven't seen anybody do any research that would suggest that. But I do think that there's a lot of just, and I, I just have to say that as the editor of the science magazine, I can't, you know, I don't know, right. but. Just speculate. Uh, yeah, sure. I like that. It sounds cool, but but I don't know that that's the case. Anyway, uh, the the feeling though is that um, you know autism autism is a vast spectrum of symptoms. Uh, you know, it's not at all common for uh, someone who's autistic to also have these savant like abilities. Those are really unusual things. Um, what's crazy about that? You know, the 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 thing that I find so interesting is these people who are aging and developing. Uh, you know, paint, being able to paint, being able to do all this stuff. Um, there's an amazing uh, sense. I, 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 I like the theory just from a, like, because it's kind of nice to think about that there's, you know, as people's minds are decaying, certain artistic abilities or whatever suddenly begin to flourish. Like, it's pretty cool. I don't know. I, I find that story pretty neat. 
Um, but uh, like Louis Wayne, you know who he is? No, no, who's he's, that? He's the famous artist that used to, I think, draw for the New York Times or something like that. And then he started huh. uh, getting schizophrenic or, or started going crazy oh, yeah. at his older age. And like just his normal drawings of cats, like here's an example his normal drawings of uh, cat, me. which were like really, you know, normal wow. looking, started to get more and more psychedelic almost wow. looking until, you know, near the end of his life, it was straight mm. up like a Grateful Dead tattoo almost. Huh. Huh. <laughs> I've never seen that. That's really cool. Yeah, the one on the really right there is so complicated. Yeah. Well, that looks like psychedelics. Yeah. <clears throat> that yeah. looks like something you would see if you're on mushrooms or on DMT. It looks or like some math. Like that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's very fractal. Yeah, fractal. That's yeah. right. And which is what you see when you take hardcore psychedelics. So who knows? His mind might just right. be slowly flooding itself. The other one is Henry Darger. Do you know about Henry Darger? He's fascinating. Same kind of guy. Like like um, uh, and and his art. He did so much art that. Uh, it, it he from the history of how it was stacked up in his apartment when he, he died and his landlord found all this work nobody knew that he was doing this stuff yeah. and it's incredible uh, he, he illustrates whole novels uh, of of this stuff and it's all fantastical it's quite creepy too I'll, I'll tell you right now I mean you know a lot of stuff about little girls, little girls and stuff yeah, yeah he's fa- just absolutely obsessed with little girls but it also he he the the body of work got more and more intense and more and more prolific at a certain stage in his life. And then at the end of his life, it had tapered off and he wasn't doing any, it anymore. And there was, they think that it, like, his schizophrenia had sort of flamed out at a certain point. Wow. Yeah. Schizophrenia wears off? Well, they, they don't know. But, you know, over the course of, of as you get old, you, the, the brain changes and who knows, you know, it's, somehow it, it, it changes. So, yeah. He had, it's crazy <laughs> too because if you get, yeah, some of the stuff is Whoa. very disturbing. Uh, and when you get in there, uh, the 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 note there in the bottom, I'm sure, like he has all this mythology. He wrote all this stuff. You know, the, he had two two races: the the Tatalingians versus the such and such. I can't remember what it is, but they it's you know two two armies going against, going up against each other. Wow. Yeah, crazy stuff. It's so fascinating how someone can lose their mind, and in their artwork, you could sort of see yeah. the 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 window into their craziness. Yeah. you know, like right. through their 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 offerings, through their totally. creativity. It's manifest. That's yeah, right. That's the, right. the the human mind is such a strange thing in that we're the only animal that we know of that's truly aware of what the fuck is going on. Um, and yeah. that th- is also truly aware of its origins and development. We have some sort of sketchy information about dolphin intelligence, and we, we, we there's a lot of speculation when it comes to what they can and can't do, but yeah. the, the reality of what humans can do as opposed to like what they used to be able to do, you know, uh, 50,000, right. 100,000, a million years. I mean, we, when we go to Australopithecus yeah. and we, we see the little pieces of stone that they used to chip into a, a, a slight edge to cut meat, and then you yeah. look at right. a cell phone. Right. You know, it's, That's right. That's right. I'll tell you right now, there's, a, there's an app we made where you can take a photo of yourself as an Australopithecus or as Neanderthal. Uh, and see what you would have looked like. It literally maps the de- face, the details of your face. If anyone wants to check it out, uh, it's uh, uh, Evolver is the name of it. Check it out if you want to. But the the and what's amazing about it is um, absolutely what you say. Like so much stronger. Like yeah. like Neanderthal man, you know, so much stronger than we are right now. We totally tear apart 
the greatest UFC fighter, just because they were just so much, strong, you know, heavier. And they were really short, Built too. for battle. They yeah, the like short. Five feet tall, 200 pounds. Totally. But, built completely different. But would I mean. get in there and, like, stab a rhino in the heart with a spear, a sleeping rhino. That's how they would hunt. Do that and then run is, like, their job. And so they would find... Uh, this is one of the theories about why they, they would find uh, the vertebrae of buried Neanderthals would be all messed up because from terrible f- falls, you know, and being like trampled and rolled by some rhino, they just stabbed, you know, the bravest people like, you know, I, or just dumb as fuck and really well, strong. But, but they're why we're here. Right. I mean, like they Maybe. had to do it. Well, they're so totally separate from us. Neanderthal. I mean, we, we carry right. around some of their genetics, but there's a lot of speculation as to whether or not we interbred with them or whether or not we just yeah. have similar uh, origins. They think that because they, you know, were around at the same time, it may have happened at some point. That they that had larger minds too, which is even crazier. Yeah. Yeah. They had larger brains than people. What probably means, or I don't know, probably is not the right word, but, but may mean that, you know, they had different senses, right? Different mm-hmm. other capabilities. like Larger perhaps, eyes, too. Yeah, right. Like, like maybe time <clears throat> slows down, right? For like Anderson Silva, time is, you know, certain slowness when the punch is coming or whatever, right? right? And, and uh, these guys, right, probably could see it from a mile away. They can see that rhino tusk coming around, you know. You pro- yeah, you probably brain. had to. I mean, just the, <clears throat> just be, we know by their bone structure and their, what, what we know about their tendon structure, they were ridiculously physically strong. Oh, God. Two, three times stronger than a normal human. Oh, yeah. Like, would literally, tear, you know, could tear your arms off if they got a good purchase on you. You know, like, like really strong people. Have, have you seen this thing uh, recently where the, uh, these Harvard scientists are trying to talk a woman into giving birth to a Neanderthal? Oh, my God, no. You I, haven't heard of this? I mean, I've heard of it, I, I, but I don't know anything directly about it. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah they're, they're trying to find a, a, a brave woman. I think oh, I thought you meant that they had it. found one and were trying to talk her into it. I'd, I'd heard about the thing, but... Well, they're trying to find one. Yeah, they're trying to find willing, one. They're willing to implant the embryo of, <laughs> right. of a Neanderthal. I was imagining the body. actual negotiations <laughs> with the specific woman and, <laughs> and found myself to be like, oh, that's, that'd be a Tough, tough it, day. It would be tough because there's plenty of crazy people out there. I'm sure that would do it just to become famous. Sure. If they thought they could be the next Kim Kardashian, oh if you threw a the reality show in their pussy, the <laughs> show of that, like going around to the shishi mall or whatever. Yeah, That's so with, funny. A, with a with a Neanderthal baby. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, they're really trying to do this. Oh, I mean, this it's, is... It would be amazing. It'd be amazing. I don't know that it's. I think it's a great idea to actually bring one back. Terrible idea. Uh, but uh, that's you know amazing science. I'm sure. I mean, what if we find out? That you know that we had to fucking kill them off because they were killing people. You know, and they, they were our mortal enemy, and that they were trying. Can to... we split the proceeds on this movie that you're writing right here? Mm, Can we somehow? I think like... it's already been written. Uh, yeah, I think probably there's so. probably something. Because it sounds good. I would see that. Well, I mean, we really are entering into very unexplored territory. Right. There's um, a new frog that uh, has been extinct for over 30 years that they just have created yeah. in, a, in a lab. The one that, that? births uh, its young through its mouth. It, that was with its trait, I guess. Wow. Uh, yeah, through its mouth it, it is where it gives birth. Crazy. And they've created the first embryo of this now extinct Nuts. frog. Yeah. The de-extinction movement is yeah. a whole thing. De-extinction. I'm really not down with that. Yeah. You know, some of it, though, is is... I mean, I'm with you, yeah. I don't want them, like, you know, letting loose herds of 25-foot sheep, you know, just because that's a better meat source. <laughs> Mammoth. Like, yeah, you don't want the, uh, you know, you, you want a little government regulation on this one, I think. But uh, I'm not sure if the government's wise enough. For yeah, that. maybe not. Maybe not. Regulation of some sort. Yeah, yeah whatever Something. Something. Some, some scientific consensus. Somebody needs to hold that back somehow. But anyway, um, but yeah, it's a, you know, there are some things where you could, you know, where we could learn all kinds, you know, it'd be amazing to know exactly what, we had in common with XYZ, sure. you know, person. I mean, you know, the amount of, of mileage that people get out of even the most, you know, loose stories about like, 
you know, we may have inherited, you know, this trait for aggression. It's like a, a, people love reading about that stuff. You know, that's a really interesting trope for a lot of people. But uh, to know, like, this Neanderthal was this way, you know, it compares to, I'm just kidding here, but like, you know, it'd be like the, the way that, you know, an animal correlates to its modern day incarnation, right? And what that, that connection is, what they have in common, what they don't, would be um, incredibly valuable science. But I'm not qualified to speak to whether or not that's a really good idea. Well, I don't think I, I think anybody it probably is. Isn't. I yeah. really don't yeah. think that right. anybody can extrapolate what happens when you start making right. a, a neighborhood of Neanderthals. You know, no one knows. No one knows Neanderthal. No one knows. And I think there's there's this issue with um, we're we're always going to be curious and we're always going to want to uh, come up with the newest, latest, greatest thing and figure out the newest, latest, greatest thing. But like like the creation of the atomic bomb. It's almost like once you start that process, yeah. you kind of have to see it. You kind of have to see, can we make this? Yeah. It, can we do this? There was the famous uh, thing from, from the Manhattan Project is evidently at Los Alamos when the explosion was happening, you know, when the cumulus cloud was going up is when, um, uh, holy cow, wow, I can't believe I'm going to blank his name, Robert. Somebody help me. Oppenheimer? Yes, thank you, Oppenheimer. Uh, uh, my God. Um, Robert Oppenheimer's, you know, f- famous phrase, uh, I have become death, destroyer of worlds, and is racked by guilt. And the Bhagavad Gita. Right, the Bhagavad Gita, quoting yeah. the Bhagavad Gita. Richard Feynman, who's like 22 or something at the time, uh, is up in an airplane watching from above taking notes, and he remembers, and he wrote this in a book, uh, he remembers that he thought to himself, oh, that's how clowns are made. Like, he was already on to the next thing. Like, you know, he, he wasn't thinking at all about the, the moral implications of what had happened below him. He was like, that's how a clown's made. That's so cool. Like, he's, <laughs> he's a scientist. He's a nerd. You know, he's thinking it. He's the wow. best kind of geek. And you need those guys who just want to find out how stuff works. Yeah. You know, that great. Oppenheimer quote is the creepiest thing ever. Also, because the translation is so odd. I am become death. I am become death. Destroy your world. Yeah, yeah I know. Can you imagine the, the just not knowing not having any idea how this is going to be used, seeing it explode and going, oh, fuck, oh, what fuck. have we right. done? Yeah. This feeling impossible it. Power. Can you imagine the, the feeling of the shockwave going by when they're all in that bunker? And I, you know. one of the clearest examples of us really not knowing the implications of these things yeah. is watching those early government tapes where they would send the military towards the blasts. Right, right. Everyone get under your desks. Mm. Or no, when they would, <laughs> we would, they would blow the atomic bombs up and then have the military run towards the blast. Oh, man. Those guys are dead as fuck. Yeah. All those guys that did that. Right, right, They, right, they right. died horrible deaths. Right. And they didn't know. They just like, let's see, see what happens when we make the soldiers run towards the blast. Yeah. I mean, the, the videos are really, really creepy. These, these poor guys, they're in, the, they're in a ditch. They blow up the bomb. Shit's flying overhead. God. I mean, the, the, the whiplash from that fucking explosion must have been insane. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's the, the, they, you know, the, the electromagnetic pulse that goes through, all of this, just the concussive force of that is so unbelievable. And all kinds of, you know, that you were talking about, you know, your friend had, had white spots in his brain. You know, there's so much of that kind of brain damage out there in the world, and especially people who've had their bell rung by a big concussion like that is a terrible injury. Yeah, that's a lot of things that, uh, or one of the one of the things that people are finding out about folks that are recovering from traumatic brain injury in the military now right. is that they can save many more people than ever before, but 
you're getting many more people that have these brain injuries just from the sure. concussive effect. Who, don't, who these... don't show any other physical signs of injury. That's the other crazy thing. They're not, you know, they're, they, they walked away, you know, and, and are lucky to have done so. You know, that's the sort of medical evaluation or used to be. And now they know that there's an invisible, uh, you know, effect in the brain. There's a shearing force that passes through the brain that, that you know, can mess things up. And that's, you know, a lot of the... Uh, both football concussions and these kinds of things like there's just a you know the brain is is fragile we're learning and and that kind of concussive blast you know an IED going off by the roadside is really a terrible you know can can ring your bell and really dam- damage your brain yeah we're just not that fucking durable it seems like we're not really desi- look yep. at these guys watching this blast just oh staring at it and then they climb out of this ditch and they run towards th- the explosion. Jesus! Wow, I've never seen that footage. Oh, it's so it's so gross. I wonder. I wonder what the purpose was of taking. I guess just seeing what happens. Wow, that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, they just look at that. Oof. Oops! I got hit in the face with nuclear waste. Boom! I mean, look at the. I mean, these guys are a couple miles. From yeah, it. that's the thing. Is they're it's probably hitting them just after the. Yeah, the and then they thing. jump up and they look. I'm, let's it, run towards the blast. Like we're gonna go get the reds. I wonder. Yeah, I wonder if it was at a time when they actually thought they would follow up the blast with, you know, invading. I guess. Yes, that's guess exactly that's what, what it was. Exactly look, it these guys are walking towards a goddamn mushroom wow. cloud. I've never seen that high. footage. Huh? Yeah, it's insane. It's completely insane. And this was just a couple of decades ago. Right. One of the things that I brought up on this podcast before that is one of the wildest statistics is that from the invention of the airplane to the time someone dropped an atomic bomb from an airplane was less than 50 years. Uh-huh. Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> I, you know, there's, a, there's a, a, this long history of... Uh, you know, when, when a, the military funds a technology and goes after it, you know, they master it quickly. You know, they're, they bring a lot of resources to it and they get it done. They have unlimited budgets. Yeah, unlimited budgets. That's right. Especially when it's classified. It's yeah. like you can have line items that are, you know, $600 million, you know, uh, dollars, you know, boom. And it'll, be, it'll say just like, you know, Project Roundup, you know, and you're like, what? You know, and then that's $600 million of just line item, whatever they, they're spending. And, and you know, I, I did a, a TV show um, for Discovery a little while ago that was about this. And, like, they've got, uh, uh, you know, these whole hangars set up for private contractors uh, out near Edwards Air Force Base at Area uh, Plan 42. Um, and uh, they just build... You know, sometimes you'll have two private contractors, like a Boeing and a Lockheed, both building the same thing, not knowing that the other is also building it. And it's the military funding two competing prototypes and then, you know, melding them or whatever. See who makes the best product. See who makes or... the best product, right? Oh. And they both will throw all the money at it, that kind of stuff. It's crazy. So the, the But when the military, you know, throws money at a problem, they tend to solve it, you know. I've seen a stealth fighter uh, fly overhead <clears throat> oh, when wow. we were in... Um... Uh, it's Palmdale, uh, out it's right. near the um, Edwards Air Force Base. And we were out there filming Fear Factor several times and oh, watched right? these things fly know. over. Uh, especially because when we first started Fear Factor, it was right after September 11th. Fear Factor was uh, it went on air, I think, 2002. Huh. So we would watch these things fly overhead. It would be like, whoa, yeah, that, yeah. that is a goddamn spaceship. Yeah, Look at that totally, thing. totally. With all the all the angles on it, it, it only has like two or three angles built into the whole thing yeah, to, to minimize to its minimize, radar signature. Yeah. How does that work? Do you know? It's literally that like if you have a if – a, if, a, if radar hits a thing – um, you know, it needs a certain number, you know, a certain amount of the radar has to bounce back basically. And the, and the more that you 
can make the angles of the body of the plane match, right? So that's why you get those sort of like Batman kind of, you know, crackler kind of, uh, 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 what am I trying to say, serrated edges. Uh-huh. It's to make those angles line up. And it's because that's a, a lower radar signature. It, it's, there's less for the for radar to, to pick up a disturbance, basically. Radar sucks. Yeah, well. It's not really good. Yeah, I right. mean, it's awesome for 1945. When you that's, a, that's a subject I don't know enough about. I'm, you're making me realize, like, uh, that's totally a thing I need to look into. Where What is the state of radar right now? Yeah, I don't know up, is there a new upgrade? Of right. Radar? Like I don't, I don't know enough about that. That's really interesting. You can get really a fucking gigantic spaceship with weapons... Well, it makes me wonder, right? Yeah. And you don't even see it coming? For like, or, you know, enough cameras? With <laughs> enough cameras, do you even need radar? Yeah. Right. You know? It's like um, I don't know. all those uh, radar uh, signatures of UFO sightings. Like, that's one of the things they always point to for evidence. You know, these uh, radar, they showed up on radar. You're telling me that we can make a ship that doesn't show up on radar and the fucking aliens haven't figured that out yet? <laughs> right, 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 right. That seems so preposterous. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense at all. Right, right. It's like the same as their butt tests. Was the last time you went to a doctor and you stuck something up your ass? And it's pretty rare. You have to have an ass problem, but almost every alien abduction leads to an, an anal test. Right, right, right. Yeah. Did you know Radar from Mash lost all his fingers on his left side of his hand? I don't think that's related, <laughs> but no, I did not know that. Yeah. How did he do that? Uh, he, oh, actually, they were just born smaller, half half small. Huh. Oh, uh, so he didn't lose them? No, I'm sorry. Oh. Thanks, internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, powerful internet. Um, the uh, yeah, so, so just to get away from uh, that, that sort of technology, the 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 state of um, uh, understanding on the on the, of the human mind today. What what is like one of the most uh, bizarre things that uh, they've discovered recently about human beings? About, about the human mind. Well, I mean, to me, the the. Um the money that is about to be proposed, or the rumor is, right, that Obama is going to, um, uh, President Obama yeah. is going to put up a $3 billion uh, proposal for a brain map project, a federally funded brain map project. It's like, you know, going to Mars, right? Yeah. It's, it's the, a great national ambition. And, you know, I am as frugal as the next person, and I understand that we're in a time of austerity, but I also think that these kinds of projects can really pay off. And that you can get incredible amounts of research done at a great value these days. And so, and it would be really nice to understand the brain better than we do. Well, it's ridiculous to think that a few billion dollars is a lot when you consider the military budget. And there doesn't right. seem to be a lot of people complaining about that. Totally. I mean, some folks are, but it's not like no one's saying, listen, we have to stop spending money on the military. Right, right. If you also, if you look at the social and economic payoff of a lot of the military-funded or government-funded research projects, you know, the internet has, I think we can all agree, has paid off pretty well. You know, that's, that's, oh, yeah. that, that technology is working pretty good, I'd say, right now. Uh, LCDs were created under, you know, a, a government program. You know, there, there's all kinds of, of things that make, uh, uh, you know, our lives possible that get off the ground that way. And the brain is such an unknown. You need that bridge of money to get from here to then the, the, when the private sector will take over, when we know some stuff. There's going to be a lot of economic activity that comes out of this. Um, so to me, I, I, you know, I would love to know better. Basically what they want to do is we don't know right now what neurons in the brain correspond to what behavior in the body. We mm-hmm. don't know what the thing is, you know, what the connection is yet, and they want to try to map that out. I mean, 
as best they can. Basically. What's the general consensus as far as what created the doubling of the human brain size? Uh, one of the things uh, that I read about uh, the human brain's development was that the the one of the biggest mysteries in the entire fossil record is the doubling of the human brain huh. over a period of two million years. Right. Right. Yep. So the the sense that I have of it, and I don't that's I I don't know that uh, area too well, but I but the the eating of meat set off the explosion of the brain, supposedly. Mm. Like eating animal protein, suddenly, boom, we were able to, to grow our huge brains bigger, you know. Um, the process is so slow. Evolution, right, moves so slowly that, like, it, you know, that, that process of that time, you know, for it to, to show up in the fossil record is, means it happens so quickly in, yeah. in evolutionary terms. Um, eating meat makes sense if cougars are super smart. You know, why Why right. did people get really smart? Unless, I guess, they had to figure out how to get that meat. And since we're sort of kind of physically yeah. weak. Scavenging and, and yeah. trying to stay alive. That's right. It's all we had. I mean, it was so important, right, that, that not, we're one of the few mammals that has babies that are born defenseless, utterly yeah. defenseless. And it's because the brain is so large that the body has to uh, give birth to the baby before the baby is truly qualified to be outside of the body. Well, it's just ridiculous that people have sex in the same place where the baby comes out. You know, this little <laughs> tiny penis and a fucking baby supposed to come out of a hole that keeps that thing tight enough to create friction. Right, that's, the that's human it. body should be like a clam. It should be like you, you cook that baby inside you and then boom, you, you hatch it out. Yeah, you know, uh, A nice hard clam to protect the that's baby. That's funny. Air things out a little. Yeah, that's right. just open it up and, right. that, and then that's how the baby comes that's out. Right. It's like the, the, your sexual organ I, mean, I think this yeah. dual purpose thing is just so nutty. And it, pee comes out of there too. Right. On the other hand, I, I, you know, an engineer would say, you know, that's sufficient. That's really efficient. You want as few openings in the body as possible. <laughs> it's, that's what they said of the Model T when it came out as well. <laughs> I think, right. you know, one of the issues with human beings, obviously, is that we are pretty much the same as we were 50,000 years ago biologically, but the world has changed dramatically. Yeah, sure. And there's so many more of us. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So many more. What's the future going to hold for overpopulation? It's crazy, man. There's, there's a whole category of... Of uh, sort of architecture thinking that thinks about den the density of stuff, you know, how, how we'll all live, and uh, um, one of the the uh, amazing things that you know, the, sort of these sort of things are the megalopolises, these huge uh, cities of greater than thirty million people, and they think that in the next like fifteen to twenty years. Uh, we're going to have several of them. You know, uh, uh, Lagos, Nigeria is on course to be a 30 million person city by whatever that year is. Jesus. I mean, unbelievable. And so the patterns of life, you know, for when we're living in cities, that huge. It's also really ridiculous that we still have cities like New York City is a perfect example where there's not a single farm. There's no I, one's growing shit. No, you have eight no. million plus people living in this one tiny little island, and you got to get all your food from somewhere else. Yeah, that's right. You don't get your gas there. You don't get your your food there. Right. I mean, I think that's one of the most ridiculous things about human beings that we still rely on shipping and transportation. Right. It seems that we should. I mean, everyone says you should source things locally. It's good for your environment. Good for your community. That's all well and good, but it also for survival's sake. When you see like what happened with Hurricane Sandy, where New York City was just shut down, 
Yeah. New York City, right. the most advanced city in the world, shut down. No one can get gasoline. Like, wow, you got to rethink this whole thing because yeah. that fucker was designed when people were on horses. Yeah, that's right. That's right. If it, I highly recommend a book, uh, The World Without Us by Alan Weissman, uh, who uh, writes about like what would happen if, if human beings vaporized from our places now? Like what would happen on the next day, basically? And it was it's, it's stuff about like, you know, everything from like feral cats Right, would would those that weren't locked in, you know, the ones that were locked in would die, and then this number of them would be out there, and they would decimate the rodent population. Like he basically takes that fantastical moment when everyone is vaporized, and then is like, how long will the nuclear power plants last? How long before the houses, you know, uh, break down? Like, mm. A hundred years, and they all fall apart. This office plaza would just like come apart in a hundred years. Yeah, uh, you know, that kind of stuff is is. Uh, Fascinating, and and it's because like it requires so much little gritty granular maintenance to keep something like New York City going. Well, not only that, the world, the erosion, just yeah. the, the 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 changing of the seasons, the 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 moving of the dirt on the right. ground due to seismic activity. We don't think about it in our time because we only live to be a hundred years, and in a hundred right. years, not a whole lot of things happen. But over the course of uh, a billion years plus, sure. there's nothing left. Yeah, nature will have its way with you. With everything, that's right. That's right. I mean, I was in Montana recently, and one of the coolest things about uh, uh, I was in the Badlands, and when we're um, hiking through these hills, you find seashells all over the place, because Montana, that area of Montana, used to be something called the Great Western Inland Sea, hmm. billions of or millions of years ago. Right. There used to be fucking dinosaurs in Montana and an ocean, an inland ocean. Yeah, amazing. And you're like, wow, like this. It's not, this ain't permanent. Like, this, this whole right. thing just keeps changing and shifting. I mean, California, where we live, right? All these dramatic seascapes and so forth, all the, you know, waves crashing on the beaches yeah. and all that stuff. All that imagery, like, man, we are uh, utterly uh, living in a place that's crumbling into the ocean. Like, yeah. it's just being eaten away. That's and the right. people who have a house on the beach, <laughs> you <laughs> silly asshole. Are you crazy? <laughs> like, I knew a guy who was building this, I think it was like a several million dollar house. He's super rich. He's, his whole family's rich. He's like one of those old money dudes, just some, seems to always have cash. And we were talking about this place, shows me these architectural designs. I'm like, that's on the water. What makes you think the water is going to stay there? Like doesn't what if it goes back? What if it goes do you have a contingency plan? <laughs> right. Like, no, no, you're just gonna spend fucking eight million dollars on this crazy ass house that's on the water. Like yeah. right there. Like go to a lake, dude. So Lakes beautiful. are so much more stable. For a few more for a few years, man, that'd be yeah. a nice place to live. But you're yeah. right. But can you even get insurance that the ocean will eat your house? Yeah, they know better now, right? I I talked to a guy, I interviewed a guy recently who um uh is a uh, his job is is he owns a, a contractor, a, a construction company, or a deconstruction company, really, that pulls oil rigs out of the ocean, wrecked oil rigs. And he, he in, the, uh, in his 20s, was designing oil rigs and was describing what it was like to, to design them back then. And he said that uh, um, the, uh, the instructions from the instructor back then was, build it to this 60-year storm standard. And... He was like, but we've only been designing oil rigs for 35 years. How do we know what a 60-year storm looks like? And they're like, never mind, kid. You know, keep drawing. So he's making these things. And he was explaining this by way of, of his then experience. When Katrina hit, um, the, uh, the waves were so massive. It was like a hundred, you know, greater than a 100-year storm. Um, you know, where, where uh, these decks that were designed for 60 feet got hit with 100-foot waves. You know, it's unbelievable. And everything got torn down. 
and this guy now runs uh, uh, Versabar, this this company that that uh, builds the this thing that can pull a whole oil rig out of the ocean uh, and carry it into land because there's so many that got wrecked by Katrina. It's like its own industry. Yeah, and by a hundred year storm, you mean once every one hundred years, right. something this right. crazy. Every, every year, there's a one in one hundred chance or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a the hundred year storm. That's right. Well, that's one of the creepiest ideas about what's going to happen because of the warming of the planet is that these storms are going to happen more and more often. Mm. And we had a guy on here that was talking about the possibility of Hurricane Sandy being something that happens every year. Yeah, right. That you're going to have one of those a year. Maybe yeah. and that, that could change to two a year. That could change to three. You know, the, the, the planet is built, I mean, you know, the planet is built for equilibrium. It's, it's always trying to get to equilibrium, and, and yeah, it just keep, keeps changing. That's right. And you're a, you're a Northern California guy, right? You, you live up there? I live a weird life, actually. I go back and forth between New York and uh, California uh, every month. I'm, I'm in New York for one week a month, and then I, I my wife and daughter are in, uh, are in Oakland because we just we love California, and I happen to be living here when when the job came up. So oh wow, it's amazing. so well, you know in today's day and age, how much do you physically have to be in a location well, I, anymore? I, yeah, I live in a I, I I am sort of testing out that theory that you don't have to be right with the people you work. You know, so you work with. So my staff is all in New York, and I communicate with them largely through the phone. I would say most of the time now, mm-hmm. uh, but I went hard at the video telepresence thing. And I found that it's really useful for a few kinds of conversations. You know, I can, like, make an announcement or I can settle a debate. You know, I hear two sides and I make a decision or something like that, you know. But it's not good for, like, catching up with someone. It's not good for, you know, uh, sort of a, a confession, right, or, or, or you know. A, a interpersonal stuff. Interpersonal stuff. Yeah. Anything where you want to win trust or influence someone. You know, I, I don't want to meet somebody that I'm trying to impress that way. Yeah. Um, and instead of trying, you got to be face-to-face to really connect with somebody. I've Isn't got. that a fascinating aspect of the human being and the yeah. human mind is the need for, like, like if we were having this conversation, there was six more feet of desk between us. That would that would change the, the That's nature right. of the conversation, right? <laughs> it's good that we're not sitting at this table the other way. That's funny. Yeah, That's it's funny. weird, right? That's well, funny, yeah. But That'd be like a banquet. Hear, I mean, we have headphones on. I could see you if you were over there, but it would feel it would. weird. Right, it this would. This is like a good amount of distance. We're, we're like four feet from each other. That's right, that's we, right. We don't touch toes under the desk too many times. Totally. Yeah. You know that theory? That, that's why I made it this wide, because right. at the ice house, we have another place at the ice house, and I was always touching toes with people under the desk. I felt weird. That changes the conversation. Yeah, it's fucking footsie. Man. I don't mean to do that. People wonder, is he trying to say something? No, he's trying to, he's trying to talk. Like, if you, when I want to talk, I'll touch your foot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but... What is that about humans where we, we need this sort of, uh, we need a, a closeness? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, I don't know, but it's it's definitely hardwired. There's the there's the, the uncanny valley is this whole thing that uh, they determined where basically if you, um, if you show somebody a fake f- human face, right, the brain immediately is like, oh, this is fake. Uh, and if you uh, make it more and more lifelike, Basically, roboticists study this and trying to create a, a, a robot that could fool a human, right, or make a human comfortable. Um, and so, like, when you take a kid, well, so so when it gets more and more uncanny, right, more and more like a, a person, there's a point at which, just before real acceptance, where you've really fooled the person, where it, the the acceptance rate drops off, like like. Right as you get the closer you get to actual reality, the more it freaks people out to be talking to a fake person. A more a really lifelike fake person is way scarier than a not at all lifelike I'm sure. Person, you right? know, like a really lifelike fake person that wants to fuck you. <laughs> How creepy would that be like, listen, man, I don't think if you don't know what it feels like to be a person, you're just imitating it. Uh, if I say no, what the fuck are you gonna do? 
Uh, no means yes. No means yes. Yeah, uh, like a fake, a fake crazy robot girl that wants your dick, and you gotta go listen. This is not gonna work. That is funny, man. Um, what what is your thoughts, if any, on um, remote viewing? Are you aware of the phenomenon of remote? Is that is that real? Yeah, I don't think it's real, or at least it's never been real enough that we wanted to do a story on it. So I I don't think of it as a real thing. But I'm interested to hear any thoughts anyone has about it. Yeah, I don't know if it's real, but we're having this guy. Uh, his name is Russell Targ, and uh, he's a physicist. Assist, and uh, he's uh, he's also one of the uh, a pioneer in the earliest development of the laser, and he's a, a future upcoming guest. And uh, he's written quite a few books on it. On uh, I'm in. One, I'll listen. Yeah, yeah, one on remote viewing, and one on the reality of ESP. It's called a physicist proof mm. of psychic abilities. I just got it in the mail today. I, I haven't gotten into it. But at the Stanford Research Institute in the 1970s and 80s, uh, Targ and his colleague, a guy named uh, Harold Putloff, co-founded a 23-year, $25 million program of research into the psychic abilities and their operational use for the U.S. intelligence yeah, community. Sure, Time sure. travel chair, like I said a couple months ago. Including the, I don't know what that means. Including the CIA, Defense Intelligence Agency, and the Army Intelligence. And these abilities are referred to collectively as remote viewing. Huh. And they both express yep. the belief um, that it's possible, and that they, they, they believe that there is actual physical evidence that proves that people can accurately describe and depict things that exist somewhere where they're nowhere near. It would be fascinating to know whether they can prove it. I would yeah, love you guys to haven't looked it. into any of that yet? I it's mean, just... w w I know about it, and, right. you know, in the spirit of not saying anything uh, negative about something I don't know a lot about, you know, I, I don't want to, like, shoot it down right off the bat, you know, but it sounds, it doesn't sound likely. It me. sounds like fuckery, right? It does. It does. Right? It does. Yeah. It sounds like it to me. Yep. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, we've had a, a friend, Tim Ferriss, in here who described studies that are done um, where, where people accurately describe things through remote, remote viewing. So uh, I'm, I'm really interested in that. It also has been, I don't, this, I should say this is controversial, but it's been written at least that it's been proven statistically that people can tell when people are looking at you. That someone hmm. can more often than not be accurate about whether or not someone is looking at you. Like you could feel someone's eyes on you. I, I don't know. I don't know whether that's true or not. But I do know that there is a. You know, there's a. There's a. If you talk to a, a, a police detective, you know, they'll tell you that when you interview witnesses, they, you know, to an auto accident, let's say, they typically say that they saw the tar the cars collide. When in fact they typically heard the sound, whirled around, and then saw the aftermath of the actual collision, but their memory tells them this was me seeing the cars collide, and so I wonder how much of it is hindsight. You know, where's the memory stored? Yeah, good question. Good, good question. Right? I mean, the the uh, the ability to to uh, you know really know where stuff is happening is totally unbelievable. You know, you've got the, like, um, the prefrontal cortex, like, controls how you move your arms. Like, we know some things about where uh, stuff is, is kept, but, like, how it is affected, how it truly is stored. Is it is it binary or is it analog, right? Is it zeros and ones or is it, like, a, a you know, a, some sort of physical arrangement of stuff? Like, you know, we don't know. And we know that if you stimulate certain parts of the brain, you can rekindle memories, right? Or at least rekindle the way, the ability you have to retain memory. I don't know that you can bring them back, but you can certainly, you know, you can stimulate the part of the brain that can, that can uh, uh, 
help foster that for some reason. But again, this is us like, it's us like poking on the outside right. and seeing like, oh, sorry, you know, there's a, a Far Side cartoon from years ago where the, the group of doctors is around the table and, and one of the legs is going doing, 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 out one side and the, and the doctor, the nurse says, you know, careful doctor, you know, don't touch that part or leave that part, you know, or whatever it is. And that's totally, you know, we're, we're, that's sort of where we're at in terms yeah. of, of, you know, brain research. I read this speculation once where they were thinking that it was possible that memories were, in fact, stored in the neurons. And the, um, the idea behind it was that human cells regenerate every seven years. Like, pretty much every cell in your body hmm. is completely regenerated every seven years, except the neurons. Right. The neurons tend to uh, stay with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, so that's that, interesting. So that might be the only place for memories. But I thought about it and I said, well, maybe that's why your memories suck when they're older than seven years old because they're like copies of copies, like an old VHS tape. Huh. Right, right, Remember right. when things would just get right. real gets grainy. fuzzy. It gets a little grainy. It's, in fact, you were the hero of that story. Instead yeah. Of, right, right, well, Because right. I've gone back over things. I mean, I have some really definitive life-changing moments in my life that I'm pretty sure I have the events <laughs> Locked in clearly, right. But if I allowed you into my mind to look at what data I have, I right. mean, you basically have me regurgitating some shit that I might have said when I was 10, and then I'm saying it over again right. when I'm 13, then again when I'm 16, and again, you know what I mean? And it's like, I've kept repeating this, right. and re referencing it, or considering it, so I have this uh, this image of it but if you looked into my head some of the things that i've done in my life you know and some of the things that you know really big moments in my life all you'd find is like a few fucking blurry images right. and maybe some reference points that's right i mean and, and if you look at the way that that you know we have learned i mean one one place that we have learned the brain pretty well is anesthesia because mm. you end up um uh, we, we know now how to turn off things like short-term memory. So the latest forms of Weed. anesthesia. Yeah, well, there's that. That's exactly. the way That's to do solid. it. solid, exactly. Um, but if you're going to crack open the chest to get the baby out or whatever the thing the is. The clam. You know, the, the clam. Uh, you know, you're going to need a different, uh, you're going to need some serious drugs. So they turn <laughs> off, the, they turn off the, the, your memory, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much that they're turning off the body's uh, a sensation of the pain as much as they're turning off your memory of it mm. uh, so that you're not really experiencing it consciously. But you still, in that state, your blood pressure goes up like your body is feeling pain. And an anesthesiologist is managing that pain for you. But the idea is to turn off your your memory more than your nerve receptors, which is amazing. So when you're unconscious in an, anesthe in, in an anesthesia state or an anesthetized state, right. your, your body still is sending the signals... Right. But not like a sleeping person who would wake up, the memory shut off. Yeah, you're not even ha you're not having the experience consciously, uh, and so your your body is not jolting you awake. It's just turning that off, so you're not <sighs> absorbing it at all. The hippocampus is not translating that into sh into long term memories for whatever reason. I I'm not sure quite how it works, but as a result, you you. Yeah, your your body still is free to respond. And I think that an anesthesiologist would say, a, it really depends. There's some. Uh, procedures where that's not the case, um, but it also uh, is is healthier not to turn off too much. You don't want to turn off a lot of the body. Well, you know they have to sometimes, depending on the procedure. But you want to, I think, keep a lot of it as you know going of its own accord as much as possible. Well, then there's brain surgery, which True. is even fucking crazier. Yeah. And the fact that there was a, a general consensus amongst doctors and scientists just 
I mean, how many decades ago where they were doing lobotomies? Where they were going, this dude's fucked up. Let's drill a hole in his brain, scramble that frontal lobe, right. and see see if we can get a nicer person out yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. It, it's a it, the 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 idea that anybody would sort of really mess around with the brain back then, considering how little we know now. You know, the fact that we need three billion dollars worth of research to get oriented is mm-hmm. basically what that would do. Uh, man, you know, like yeah, nobody should be scrambling anybody. Yeah, what is that? What was it called? Trepanning. I think where they would dr- drill holes in the skull to release pressure. Man, man, and sometimes they have to do that. You know, like emergency surgery, you have to. You know, somebody will whack their head, and right. you know, be, I mean, you know, and then they they have to do that sometimes. But yeah, the idea that you would do that to try and sort of like affect behavior yeah. is, is nuts. You know, on the other hand, they have discovered things like, um, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Um, shock treatment, right? Was mm. was this desire to sort of you could calm the brain in a way by hitting, by jolting it. Um, and, uh, it comes, it, it was discovered basically by, or the, the original sort of discovery that led to that was, uh, in slaughterhouses, uh, they would stun the, the cattle ahead of time, uh, with like a shot to the, you know, to the brow basically with a, um, uh, one of those, uh, uh, not nail guns, but a rivet gun. And as a result, the, and the, and the, the car, the cow would go incredibly calm and then a whole body of research sort of grew out of that dynamic, trying to figure out, like, what is the shot to the system that calms the body, calms the mind for a second? And for the longest time, they weren't doing electroshock therapy on humans. They stopped doing it. Like, yeah. there was the sort of one flew, was the, one flew of right. the cuckoo's nest way of looking at it, like, oh, you just ruined that guy. You, you calmed right. him down, but you shut, you, you know, the Jack Nicholson right. drooling at the end of the movie where it's, oh, he's gone, he's fucked, he cooked his right. brain. Whereas now, it's... It's commonly done to people that are fucked up. Well, I think they also know now. So back then, you had what were called, uh, you know, we're back on antipsychotics here, but there was you had positive and negative symptoms, and that's a technical term. It doesn't mean good or bad. It means uh, positive symptoms were the symptoms where you you have an outburst. Sorry, they're outwardly noticeable, uh, outburst, you know, uh, yelling, hallucinations. Po- those are positive, and the negative is a lack of emotional connection, lack of reasoning. Your cognitive ability starts to go away, and those are those were know a whole separate category of symptoms and back then in the early days of something like electroshock therapy they typically only had something like thorazine lithium um, to sort of turn off all it all it would turn off was your positive symptoms but it didn't affect any of your uh, um, negative symptoms the the you know being you're still lethargic you still can't make connections to people you're still not thinking well plus you're sort of sedated so they talked about the thorazine shuffle you know that was back and so i wonder if some of it I'm just making this up, but right. I wonder if, if some of it is people would get jolted and then um, after that be on this medication typically and be shuffling around. And people would all be like, oh, that guy was never the same since he had his electroshock therapy. But maybe he was also on the drug that was turning him off. Right. I, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just making that up. But yeah, I'm it certainly could thinking. have been both. It's so funny how we look back at those days and go, oh, those fucking dummies. They didn't know what they were doing. But guaranteed people a thousand years from now are going to be looking at us oh like, yeah well, we we're so silly we, right. we didn't know anything we right. didn't even have artificial brains yet <laughs> exactly we're still when driving it... ourselves yeah that's right what is your thoughts on uh ray kurzweil's idea of of uh, humanism that we are eventually going to be symbiotic with some sort of uh with machine counterpart i love it i mean i i think it's a it's a really interesting you know it's a great time reference that's basically what he's trying to do is like yeah. say like here's the next great milestone in innovation and development you know, and I, I, I think it's a, a nice, a really good organizing principle. It's inspired a lot of great thinking. You know, whether it's going to turn out that we really do create like 
a symbiotic, you know, relationship. I don't know. But in a way, we already have, right? Like if you've got the new Galaxy blah, 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 blah mm -hmm. with uh, uh, Google, when you turn on that first uh, little screen uh, uh, that tells you like, here's the time, here's the weather near you. Um, you, it'll also follow, uh, uh, you, you know, it'll track your, your time, like where you are and begin to pick up uh, the history over time of where you are. And it'll start to suggest like, here's a better route to take uh, to work or, you know, here's food near you. Uh, and you're, it, it's telling you information before you're even asking for it, which for me is a totally new, you know, crossing this line where it's no longer like, oh, I'm hungry, I want to go eat something. Uh, and then you pull out your phone to ask it how to do that. Instead, the phone is telling you, hey, uh, I've got an idea. Why don't you get a burger? And you're yeah. like, thanks, phone. <laughs> and, you go get a, you know, that's, and so in a way, we've almost already gotten there, you know. And the biggest giveaway is how weird you feel when you leave it at home. You forgot your phone. Yeah, Shit. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, I didn't use my phone for almost two days this week, and it was the best feeling ever. And I've noticed that one of the biggest things with hipsters nowadays is that they don't have cell phones anymore. And I could kind of see myself even going back there. Is that really the big thing with hipsters? Is that a yeah. hip thing? I hadn't heard the, of that. Yeah, the new thing is hipsters don't have cell phones Dude, anymore. that's great. I and that they just that. they just write letters. <laughs> Are you, I'm, I'm, Are you I'm being 100% serious. I just found out about it this Where, week. Where did you hear this from? Uh, this girl I know is working on a movie, and uh, I hipsters. guess there's a couple girl, people that are so hipster it's that they don't have phones, and this, hmm. so she has to like e email them. That's, just so that's great. Like, wow. I'm idiots. into it. It's like the steampunk thing, like looking back, for, yeah. you know, nostalgic at that time. Try yeah. to find out if a that's movie's awesome. good if you don't have a phone. <laughs> that's ridiculous that's funny that's so stupid uh, why well, you don't have to use it dummy but the fact that you don't have one yeah, get but I'm an addict, man. out of here yeah, but I'm an addict. fuck yeah. not using your phone for two days it's such yeah what'd you do yeah. what did you do I, with yourself I, I, I ate mushrooms and swam with dolphins <laughs> <laughs> well I did it when I went to Montana for six wow. days for six yeah. days, no cell phone. It felt great, right? Yeah, it's it's well, it's also good to get the fuck away from the hive, mm. you know, because we were camping for the, those days that we were out there. So it wasn't just no cell phone; it was no contact with civilized world. It was right. just the natural world of walking around and hiking, and it's a it's a completely different feeling than when you're constantly checking your email and constantly watching the CNN screen at the airport right. and and all that 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 the the, the, the constant input of information. Right. Do you have any experience at all in uh, sensory deprivation tanks? <laughs> no, not me personally. I, I am really interested in, uh, you had said earlier when we were looking at that footage of the, um, the cumulus cloud and the soldiers running toward it, like how fragile the body is. That's mm. my like, that's the subject I geek out on hardest. I really am fascinated by exactly that. And like, you know, sensory deprivation tanks, it's just funny, like we're so, we're so vulnerable. We're such vulnerable little creatures and it's so unbelievable that we move around the world and live around the world where we do mm. how we do you know Louis CK has that great thing about you know uh, people complaining about the Wi-Fi not working on the flight mm -hmm. he's like you're being thrown through the sky in a chair you know yeah. come on and uh, and that's totally how I feel about everything like when mm -hmm. I look at you know uh, airbags you know sure. safety restraint systems like pressurization on planes, all that stuff. It's unbelievable. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, what I meant, though, is the actual f effects on the mind sorry, sorry, or yeah. sensory deprivation. Right. You, you know, you never experienced that at all? I haven't. I haven't gone in and done a tank. No. Uh -uh. I've Why never, not? I've never done I don't know. I just haven't had the opportunity. I'd love to. It sounds great. Uh, you're leaving soon. Otherwise, I would suggest a place here. But Northern California, there's a gang of places you can oh, go cool. to. And huh. I'm sure Twitter, Twitter people attack 
Go send him some links. Um, you got to try it. If yeah. you're fascinated by the human mind, you really need to try that state. Cool. Because it's not available anywhere else in the world. How would you describe it? Have you done it? Oh, yeah. I have one in my house. No kidding. Uh, yeah, I, I do great. it almost every week, you know, many times wow. a week. Yeah. So what's it like? What is the, what's the effect? Well, there's no, there's no senses coming in. I mean, even having this conversation, there's no distractions, but every now and then, you know, you hear that truck that goes by right, next right. door or you you feel your, you, you have to shift your butt cause you know, it gets uncomfortable. All that's input. All that's input. Mm. When you're in the tank, there's nothing. Mm. There's no input. And much like we're having this conversation, if a truck goes by, it's a slight distraction. If you were trying to formulate words and that truck was really loud, it would be annoying because you have to deal with that input. You have to deal with that, that information that's coming towards you. Right. When right. you're inside the tank, it really is the only environment in the world mm. where you don't have your body talking to you. Right. You're floating in water that's the same temperature as your skin. There's a thousand pounds of salt in that water, Epsom salt. So you float hmm. like you're you're completely buoyant, and because your temperature of the water is the same as your skin, you don't feel it after a while. Hmm. You literally feel like you're flying through space. What does it do to the total to your, darkness? To your total mind. silence. Yeah. Well, your mind has your mind no go? sensory input, so there's no distraction. Yeah. So it's super powered. It's hmm. ridiculous. Just as your brain is compromised when there's a jackhammer next to you. <laughs> your brain becomes equally magnified mm. when there's nothing. If mm. I have any problems whatsoever of these things that are bothering me, I go in the tank and it's like having a seminar on my life. It's like all wow. of a sudden I could see things so much clearly hmm. and so much more clearly. And you're, you're completely outside of the world. Hmm. I mean, you're not lying on a bed. You're not in an ashram. You're not even in a human body anymore. Right. You're, you're, it's your consciousness literally untethered from the human body. That's awesome. Yeah, you need to do it. it yeah, I will. Make any sense. I will. I'm in. I'm in. That sounds I, great. I didn't invent this fucking thing, and I can't believe that I tell so many people about it, and they're like, wow, I need to do that. I'm like, Jesus, it's 2013. Why the fuck are these things not everywhere? Right. They're so incredibly beneficial, and they give you a lot of the benefits of psychedelic drugs without any of the worries mm. about tripping out and losing your mind and you know a lot of people know someone that's lost their marbles on lsd or something sure. or had a bad emotional experience on mushrooms sure and so when they think about the idea of taking a drug to detach from the, the reality to gain a fresh perspective it's terrifying but you can achieve psychedelic states in a in sensory deprivation huh. tank with no worries at all totally i, I will i will try it out i've never done Get it on I, it sorry we're just eating mushrooms in. it's better <laughs> it's not better you don't even know you don't even try an isolation tank how are you talking about? It's it doesn't beat mushrooms. You don't know that. You don't know anything. <laughs> so you're saying isolation tank beats mushrooms? I'm saying it's the same sort of experience. You can have the same experience that you can have on a heavy-duty mushroom trip in an isolation tank. And, by the way, a mushroom trip in an isolation tank is a thousand times more intense. Like hell. We weed is more... For you, self-examinatory. Give me the fuck That's out the last thing room. you want. Um, it's... It's a, it's just a, a incredibly unique environment that I'm shocked isn't available at major universities. I think it should be everywhere. I well, think people should have that. On a, I mean, it should be. You can go anywhere and you find a yoga studio. Mm -hmm. Try finding a century deprivation. I think the, lot of, the reason, Joe, is that a lot of people it doesn't work on. That's oh. not that's not the reason, Brian. The I would reason why it's not available is not because a lot of people it doesn't work on. No, I mean that's why it's that not as popular sense. because a lot of people do the isolation tank and it does nothing for them. So why would they go back Where to do you, it? What are you basing this on? I know several people that have come up to me and talked to me about isolation tanks because they've heard it on this podcast and they they were like, I've done it three times. It's I, I, nothing to me. It's just kind of boring. I just sit there and and that's happened to me at least three times. Those are the people that are desperate to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> they have limited resources. Yeah. The, right. 
I'm telling you because I fucking have one in my basement. I know. I use it, works it all on the you. time. It's Maybe it's just works. on you. You just need to learn how to re- let go and concentrate. It's not like it's an, an immediate jolt into hyperspace. But what it is is the uh, an environment where you can truly be away from the influ- influence of mm-hmm. the body. Mm-hmm. And if you're on any sort of substance, any psychedelic or anything, it's magically enhanced mm-hmm. inside the tank. Wow. You eat a pot cookie and get an isolation tank and tell me that's not a trippy experience. I'll tell you, you're crazy. It's, it's, it's so beneficial. The, there's a couple issues. One, most people who do it, they don't do it enough to get truly relaxed in mm-hmm. that environment because a lot of the, the sensory deprivation tank experience is about letting go. It's about learning how to relax and learning how to let go and not concentrating on the fact that you're in a tank and not bumping up against the walls. you got to get good at it, and you got to get good at the whole letting go thing. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. It's just like meditation. It's a, a difficult thing to do. But you can achieve some pretty powerful states in meditation – you can achieve much more powerful states if you're meditating inside an isolation hmm. tank. Hmm. I just wanted to know if you knew anything about the actual effects of the mind. Do you remember that movie Altered States when the dude was wired up with all these electrodes and they were monitoring his mind while he was in there? I haven't seen it. You haven't seen Altered States? I'm sorry, I haven't. Well, it was all based on John Lilly, um, who was, uh, by the way, used to take acid and talk to dolphins. That was his thing. That's he was what a I did. pioneer in interspecies communication. And uh, Lily uh, would get an isolation tank and uh, set it up right next to a tank filled with dolphins right. and, and hop in the isolation tank and trip his balls off and uh, have this experience. But he created the sensory deprivation tank. There was a couple different versions of it. The right. first one, he was vertical with sort of like a space helmet on for his air. And he would like float based on this tank. Like he would kind of be floating from his head. Wow. Yeah. Huh. And huh. then the second one, he figured out, okay, if you lie vertically and fill the tank with salt, you'll float. Huh. So he he even rigged it up so that he could he had like a, a tube that was collecting waste and sucking Whoa. waste out of it. So, so he he's could spending shit a long there. time oh, yeah. in there. Well, Lily was uh, also famous for his uh, love of ketamine. So huh. he would uh, take ketamine and go on these uh, six-hour K-hole trips inside Jesus. this tank. And if you got to take a leak, you know, just pulls it out of you. Yeah. Joe, I was peaking hard during these uh, this mushroom trip, though. Like, I ate, I just I ate a cap. I just went into a little. And I started, like, to the point where my hands were melting. And I had to go into this water. And it was intense. Like I'm sure, the, the, wow. I was like trying to like talk to the dolphin with my mind, like staring at it in its eyes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, how'd it, that go? It, it went pretty good. I mean, it, it was pretty ridiculous. But the the crazy thing is that the dolphin racked me twice, didn't hit anybody else, cool. and then at the end busted me on the lip yeah. with its tail. Ooh, you got lucky too. Dolphins are strong. Yeah, it was like. So what are you thinking that the dolphin was like hearing it, your it, cries and I, wanted to beat the shit out of you because you were annoying? I have no <laughs> idea. And the only other thing I could think of is I was at the end of the line. So when 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 they were like, all right, we're gonna flip the dolphin over. Everyone pet its stomach. Well, I was petting the vagina the whole time. Didn't even know it. <laughs> And then she, she's like, see, this, this is the vagina, and there's a slit on each side of the vagina that the, the dolphin feeds out of it. I'm like, whoa, I'm touching it? Like, 
Like she, it was. What do you mean you didn't know? You've told me about that. I was times. shrooming, dude. I was like, touch item that's oh, okay. in front of so me. So you, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't even know what it looked like. I, I mean, at the time, I was just like, wow, it's soft, it's awesome. But then, did you get to write? You, you, you did this before, right? No, I did not. Oh. I'm, I'm really against dolphin captivity. I oh, think the, it's really fucked up. I think the idea yeah. of taking a super intelligent animal like a dolphin and putting it in a swimming pool and having a bunch of people touch it is just like taking a person and putting them in a fucking box and having a bunch of fish come and stare at you. I well, think it's ridiculous. They do eat like crazy, and they seemed all very happy. And dolphins are the only ones that, you know, uh, if they don't like life, they just stop breathing. Like, they're they're voluntarily breathing. They're, they're the only species that voluntarily breathes. Hmm. And so, like, that's why a lot of times when dolphins will just commit suicide if they're unhappy. And they would all commit suicide no, if they were unhappy, wouldn't silly. they? That's they silly. Get... That's instincts. I mean, you're saying that their life has to be so horrible that they commit suicide. There's a lot of people that are ridiculously unhappy in prison that aren't committing suicide right. it doesn't mean the prison is awesome yeah I mean, that by that logic that but doesn't make any sense wouldn't there all. be you know some dolphins that killed themselves then if they were unhappy i mean they just how do you know they pretty much they just don't? got fed the whole time yeah, like but, i was watching them. but they have no freedom man <laughs> they have no freedom not only that they steal them from their mothers the killer whales are very famous for that and killer whales by the way the only incidents of killer whales ever murdering people has been in captivity they hate it they don't want that. That's they, riding those are dolphin. dolphins of killer. They're uh, dolphins are just cousins of killer whales. I just think it's a fucked up replica. It's a remnant of the past where we didn't understand these animals. These are super super intelligent animals, and just like the cove is fucked up because it's fucked up to murder them, it's fucked up to imprison them too. It's not like these were bad dolphins yeah. and we had to remove them from the dolphin population. Which dolphins, by the way, are fucking bad. They do a lot of crazy shit. They rape. They, they kill babies. I mean, oh. they don't, just because they're intelligent, they don't follow by the morals and the ethics that human beings would like to think of Flipper having. Right. You know, dolphins do some dirty shit. We have a story coming up in a couple of issues about, uh, by this guy, Brian Lamb, uh, who uh, runs uh, this thing called the Wire Cutters. Cool guy. But anyway, he, he, he's a, a, a good writer and, and did a story for us about uh, basically going and. Um, tagging along with this kind of not quite ragtag crew but like you know crew scientists but they they're by their nature a little crazy in that they're out um uh hand tagging sharks they get them up on the boat you know like big yeah. dangerous you know yeah. uh, hammerheads you know the whole deal and they tag them with these very improved tags that are far more technologically sophisticated than what we have now and as a result they're giving us all this new data about sharks and what they do uh where they live what you know how deep they go all this stuff um, but he was describing what it's like to, in the story, he describes what it's like to try and get in the, to be in the water with a shark and how incredibly scary that is. Like, like those things are just built for death. They are, you know, the nature's perfect weapon, those things. Yeah, that must be absolutely horrifying. Um, one of the things, one of the reasons why I'm so uh, adamant about the, the, the dolphin thing was that I had a psychedelic experience with dolphins too from eating pot and being on a, um, a boat. And that's that, that bit that I do, or the story that I wrote. I, these dolphins were playing with us. Yeah. They were jumping next to us by the boat, and they're, they're, they're really playful. And they're really obviously intelligent. Like, they don't fall for the hooks. They're not biting our bait. <laughs> you know, we're, we're fishing, yeah. and we're not, they don't worry about it at all. Like, yeah. no one catches a dolphin on a hook. It just doesn't happen. Right. The right. only way you catch them is by netting them, like, you know, corralling them in where they're fucked. Yeah. But you don't hear about dolphins falling for a fake worm. Right. You know, it doesn't happen. I've always liked the, the people who say, you know, people who've, who've spent time with them sometimes say, you know, man, it's, it seems almost as if they've evolved past where we are. You know, yeah. like they shed their possessions. Well, well they don't have the ability to change their environment. But other right. than that, they, they have an amazing ability 
totally. communicate. And they have a nice environment. Have you, seen their, have you seen their ears, Joe? This is like a higher technology than us. It's a pinhole. It's yeah. just a little dot. And they're also born with mustaches when they're young. And like you could see the holes when they're older where the mustache used to be huh. on their lip. And they're so badass they're born with mustaches. I wonder what purpose that serves. I don't know. Evolutionarily. fresh. <laughs> Looking fresh, a nice little pimp, thin stash. Like and I think Prince. it is too, and I think it is a, thin, a pin stripe, model. like one of those Eddie Murphy ones, where it's just a, a tiny line of hair above the lip. Yeah, right. yeah. I don't know. It's they're they're. I just I, I think it's cool that you did that, and you know, I, I mean, they are they're going to be in that Sea World place whether you go there or not. But I don't want to go there. I've been to the zoo high, and I don't like it. Mm. You know, I wrote this whole thing when I went to the zoo about it's like this animal prison. You see these primates screaming in their cage. I was at a zoo once, and there's this one monkey. I don't remember what monkey it was, but it was by itself in this little cage. It was smaller than this room, and this fucking thing was screaming. And I was like, that is madness. Mm. That's an intelligent animal that someone has decided to make it stay in this one spot, and it's going insane, mm. screaming. What what seemed like that to me was the shamus or the, the oh, killer yeah. whales. Yeah. Uh, that to me, like I didn't think that, I thought the dolphins looked like they were all having a great time, but uh, the, the the killer whales looked that was kind of fucked up because it was just a huge tank, and they just were swimming in circles nonstop. <sighs> That's all they did. God, you know, that they weren't me nuts. Yeah, that that was awful. But mm. but it's, I thought the shamus were pretty cool. You know what I mean, you thought the dolphins, or the dolphins are cool. cool. You yeah. know what? A, I think it's called a balboa. Is that what it's called? Where it's like a dolphin, but it's white, and it's got a huge, like, crazy mushroom head. Oh, uh, I know what you're talking about. It's, it's a type white. of. It's a type of dolphin. Yeah. yeah, it's a white. I think it's actually a, a type of whale. It's a. Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. They're, they're, I don't know the name of. They're it, opening up next month where you can hang out with those guys, <sighs> and that shit looks badass because huh. it looks like Star Wars. If you, you know what, man, they, this is how they should do it. If they really want to have a relationship with dolphins, they should give them food and put up a center in a place where the dolphins live naturally and put people in submarines. But the idea right. that you know you should put them in a fucking fish tank, and by the way, that water is probably chlorinated. How else are they going to have it? It was salt water. It, it was salt. It tastes like salt water and. Oh, okay. Shit, it was gross. Well, that's that makes sense actually because you, I have a saltwater pool. Like yeah. you, you know, you can have you can get away with that without the same principle of uh, the isolation tank not getting funky. Nothing really can grow in the yeah. salt water. Right. But I just think that we don't need to do that anymore, man. It's just uh, even zoos. I mean, I take my kids to the zoo because the the zoo is there, and for them it's fascinating, and they go crazy. But it was up to me. We wouldn't have zoos. It just seems crazy to yeah. have a prison for gorillas. They're just staring at you, and they're fucked. You know, just the whole thing is, is it's a relic, I think. Yeah, no, it's true. I, I, you know, the, the, it's funny when you go, I, there's the American Museum of Natural History in New York has this whole wing of its stuff that it inherited of like, um, you know, stuffed animals. And, uh, I, you know, and I love the American Museum of Natural History. I think they do amazing work, you know. But, the, um, you know, it's just funny to go and stand in front of like what was the zoo back in, you know, the 19th century, 18th century, the desire to... To uh, you know, shoot and stuff an animal. Well, how about African thing, right? men? I mean, Whoa. there was there. There's been uh, exhibits at zoos before where they had black men. I think they had pygmies at at zoos before. Huh. Yeah, I mean, they've uh, the the ability to justify the imprisonment of an intelligent animal. It's really weird when we start and think about what an intelligent species from another planet would do to us. Mm. If they came here and found out that Kim Kardashian was the most famous woman on the planet, 
What is to say that they want these dumb motherfuckers? Let's just yeah. lock them up in a cage and give them food. As long as they have food, they'll be happy. There are. I mean, on the other hand, though, I would point out that there's like you know, there is some at least some understanding of what animals need to thrive in an environment. And zoologists do do a great job, or try to do a great job anyway, of, of creating environments where the, the animal is, you know, maybe tricked is one way to put it, but like, you know, is is feels comfortable in the environment. And, right. and there's all kinds of crazy optical illusions. At the Seattle Zoo, there's a, the savanna kind of curves. It's almost like you're you're on the top of a dome, sort of, but it's a very gradual dome. But it's enough that for a long time, it looks as if there's a, a long horizon out in front of you. Uh, it blocks out the background. There's no tr- you're not seeing any trees in the background or whatever because it's sloped up just slightly. And, you know, I wonder if that's, I don't know, but I, I imagine that that's like designed to make you know, to keep a, a lion's eyes sharp or whatever the thing hmm. is that they're trying to do. Well, if they really wanted to be nice to the lion, they would yeah, let, let goats go. loose. That's a good point. They would also oh, let, let goats, goats loose in right. there, like they do in Asia. You know, in Asia, the way they treat tigers, uh, they it's really not sporting whatsoever because they back a truck up and they, they lift up the forklift in the back of the truck or whatever, the uh, the cab in the back of the truck, and the goat falls out, the tigers just tear it apart. Wow. Have you ever seen that before? No, I haven't. Uh-uh. Cue the video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the um, there's uh, also a zoo in Iraq, and that's one of the first videos I ever saw about it on online where mm. they uh, they released a goat, and these lions came running out and and ripped the goat apart in front of all these uh, GIs that were there with cell phones. Whoa, yeah, it's um, at least that's normal. I mean, yeah, well, that's, that's what right. they do. That's right. The idea of sliding a tray under the cage with some cold meat. Yeah, the, right. the whole reward system that an animal has, especially these predators, their entire reward system is based on chasing and catching things. Right. I mean, if you roll a ball in front of a cat, it's going to go after it. And then that's because it's got... I mean, they say the, one of the big things about mountain lion attacks is they attack joggers a lot because huh. they think you're trying to get away. Right, right. They, they There's that thing they tell you about uh, uh, pick up your, any small children. Uh, in order to, uh, uh, because a mountain lion's instinct is to go after the smallest yeah. one, and little kids are, are prone to running away, and that is what turns on the instinct, the yeah. prey drive. And so you have to pick up your kid if you see a mountain lion. That well, and coyotes as well. You know, there was a big bear um, last year. There was an attack. A five-year-old was attacked by a coyote right in front of his father. Oh wow! Huh. Yeah, the coyote tackled the kid and just tried tried to fucking eat him. The, you know, <laughs> man. Yeah. As a father, I would yeah, I'd freak out. Yeah, so here they drop this thing Whoa. out, and they just grab a hold of it and just start pulling it apart. Wow. What is that? A, is, it a, is it beef? Some sort of a, oh. a sheep or a goat or something like that. Yeah. And these, uh, this is lions God, here. those things are strong. Yeah, the lions take a little more time than the tigers. The Damn. tigers grab a hold of it, and it's almost instantly a wrap. They just yank them and rip them That's apart. Nuts. But, I mean, if you're going to have animals like that it seems kind of fucked up to have them in a in a place where they can't run around and they don't have anything to chase right 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 their whole reason to live that's (laughs) That's right they've evolved all these incredible abilities right the the teeth and the prey drive the eyesight all that stuff and you do need to keep that right keep it sharp vegans who feed their dogs vegan dog food like oh you fuck how dare you like you know that dog's barely surviving on that shit by the way, I was talking about a beluga whale earlier. Oh, yeah, that's it. What, are they as smart as a dolphin? Or are they, they... Mm, that's a good question. I think it's the same family. I mean, they're, they're definitely the, the, you know, yeah, it's that family. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a whole gang of smart marine animals, you know. Right. And 
we're willing to imprison all of them. What's really also <laughs> amazing is seeing the stingrays. They have this whole thing where it's just mm. this pool where you can touch and feed stingrays. And these stingrays would just come up out of the pool. And mm. they look like little dogs that instead of having feet have like, you know, like like wings almost. It was really amazing. Because they're so domesticated. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I fed them in Hawaii. There's a tank in, at the Big Island where you uh, you swim with them. Hmm. You put a snorkel on, and you swim with uh, stingrays and all these other fish. And fish poop, by the way, everywhere you look. Yeah. And it's, it's not even a tank, actually. It's like a, like a big pond. Mm. And uh, they'll allow you to feed them. And little kids feed them. They hold food out, like scallops and stuff in their hands. And the, the stingrays come up, and they, they're crazy mouths, and they just suck it right out of your uh, hand. Uh. SeaWorld's badass, though. That's all I have to say. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it is badass, but I I can't agree with it morally. I just think I think they're intelligent, and I think we have to sort of draw some sort of a line as to how we deal with intelligent beings. Our attitude is like, what are you saying? Mm, I can't understand you. Do you want a fish? Then you have to do the trick, you know? <laughs> It's, right, it's, right, right. it's kind of fucked up. I had a friend who, who uh, was a trainer. I don't know where he, where it was, but somewhere in Hawaii, he was training dolphins, or he, he was a graduate student and was doing this work, and, and um, he said that at the, by the end of it, the dolphins had trained him, that basically like he was only getting into the pool when he, like they would behave a certain way to get him to behave a certain way, is how he, he just like wound up one day realizing that. Not disagreeing wow, with you in any way, but it is nuts that they're just, they are really, really intelligent, like yeah, you say. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, they're they're trying to express something, and yep. if he's paying attention, he's going to sort of catch on and, and move with them. They would do the, they would do the trick to, to get him to give them the treat, but then they would withhold the trick and then do it really well. They would do like, they'd mess with him and, huh. message, and like train him to just deliver the fish. If, if I could live <laughs> comfortably and not have to worry about money uh i would just take care of dolphins for my for my job i that, that's how how uh, attached to that uh, that experience to me was it was just uh, that there's something with dolphins that yeah. haven't been found out yet they're oh, amazing well, they're, they're well it's amazing. not that it hasn't been found out it's just we can't understand them yeah. they they're very intelligent their cerebral cortex is 40 percent larger than a human beings and um i mean I, that, that experience that i had when i was in the boat um in hawaii with those uh wild dolphins playing that, that was a it seemed very tangible to me hmm. and it changed the way i look at human beings it changed the way i look at consciousness in general I, I started thinking that their consciousness is probably quite a bit like a human's consciousness they just can't alter their environment uh, they're they we can't understand them and they can't alter their environment but they seem like if you uh, encountered I mean, we, we, we take for granted the fact that the way they move is very much like a fish, so we sort of categorize them, sort of how you were talking about trucks earlier, like, yeah. oh, that's a truck, right. oh, that's a dolphin. Right. Their method of locomotion is one thing, but if you met a dolphin in space, if it was like something like that, where it had that sort of intelligence and it was communicating and moving around more like a human, if it, had, it was bipedal... And it was, but it, but it, you looked at it and made noise and it interacted with you. You would freak the fuck yeah, out. Yeah, you'd run. Yeah, well, you would just freak out. You'd be so flabbergasted that you're dealing with this alien intelligence. It's just like you. Yeah. It's dolphins exist in this world where they can move through three dimensional space, so they don't yeah. need to be able to touch things with fingers and, all, and manipulate. There's, the there's world. all kinds of studies about, um, uh, you know, the, the the inner life, the emotional life of animals. You know, uh, elephants that bury their dead, grieve yeah. for their dead. Elephants can recognize themselves in the mirror, know yeah. who they are, like yeah. all that stuff is amazing. They can paint themselves. Yeah, you paint seen themselves. That? Yeah, yeah, that, that is that's a trip. One. That's amazing. When you see the elephant painting an elephant with, yeah. a, with his nose. Yeah. No. And grief is a big one. That, like when we look back at the evolution of, of uh, uh, people, one of the great turning points in evolution is 
um, when we began burying our dead. And the idea that we began having these sort of, you know, a scientist would say, you know, sort of imagine, you know, inner lives, an imaginary life almost, right? Wow. We just develop an abstract sense of death. That's when we become sophisticated, you know, that's when our brain, our mediating brains begin to really do it. That's you know? one of the things that trips me out the most about Ray Kurzweil is that he believes we'll be able to transcend death and we'll be mm -hmm. able to download consciousness into a computer and he takes a hundred thousand pills a day and, you know, <laughs> right. does a, watches his diet in order to extend his life to that point where he gets to do that. Yeah. You know, that's a, uh, very I wonder if I would opt for that you know like I find myself thinking about like how I would want to go given like infinite technological stuff I would want to go out on top I wouldn't want to like you know <laughs> what I mean like you don't want to fade anymore you want all the medical research working to make you think like you are playing in you know game six of the world series well it's whatever. a real wrestling match between our instincts and the the reality that we're a finite being and the reality that we are also a part of a process and yeah. we are one piece of a super organism which mm -hmm. is the human race and but our ego tells us no. I'm the most important. I must survive. I must. I am important. Sure. It's, it is I. Sure. It is me. You know. It's the thing that is always amazing to me about people who can be so brave and you know reckless with their bodies and so forth. It's like they're they're getting they're they're taking what you're describing and sort of uh, somehow of resisting it in a weird way. Like the, your brain has evolved to basically keep you alive, keep you out of danger, mm -hmm. and the idea that people can sort of voluntarily enter dangerous situations is to me an amazing You mean like fighters or something like Fighters or like, you know... Wingsuit people? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Extreme athlete stuff is unbelievable to me. That I just think that's so, you know, it's amazing and thrilling and wondrous and also scary as hell and and sort of nonsensical from an evolutionary perspective. Like the idea that you would voluntarily leap off a cliff, you know, you have to resist so many millennia of programming to do that, yeah. you know, it's nuts. In a in a great way, I guess we have the 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 luxury of doing that. Yeah, but, and it's oh also the, that weird thing that we do where we try to outdo each other and who can do the wackiest, craziest, scariest shit. I and mean, right. that's how these X Games things, like the, right. they've had to like put limits on people, like say, okay, you can't do that anymore because someone just died trying. Like, yeah. stop with a. Quadruple flip off of the right. top of this ramp. It can't, you know, either you, it's not going to be done or it's going to be done and 20% of the people are going to die and that's not acceptable. Yeah, yeah, right, so. right. I mean, you can't really regulate what people are going to do, you know, just if we give them a suit. You know, those guys right. are mostly doing it illegally, but man, just the ability to. You know, I, I was once interviewing a, a fighter, a, a test pilot who went on to become an astronaut. Um, and I was asking him, how did you? How do you not freak out when you are sitting atop this bomb on the launch pad? Like, how do you not just like you were saying, you know, about getting out of the sensory deprivation tank? Like, you know, leap to your feet, scramble at the door. Like, how do you resist the impulse to do that? And he said, Well, you know, we're we're trained. You know, we're we're recruited and trained for a specific uh, ability. You know, and situational awareness is what he described it. And uh, he said that that one of the examples of it is um, what he called winding the clock. And I was like, what's winding the clock? He had been a test pilot out of Edwards over here and uh, was one day assigned to shoot down a drone uh, to test an, a new air-to-air -air missile. And so he comes out of this you know, steep turn, fires the rocket, and it doesn't leave his wing. The it the you know he hears it go but it doesn't actually leave the jet. Oh and he Jesus! He looks over and it's armed right now. Oh, on his Jesus. wing. Yeah, he's dead. You know, so he's it's ready to blow up. Ready to blow up. It's oh, armed. It's ready to make impact. Fuck and you're done. Christ. Right. That's the and so the moment right the the reaction you're having even to hear this story right is the same reaction I had and the same reaction so many people would have like eject immediately or like panic you know whatever it's just 
bad news. And he said that in that moment, they're trained to wind the clock. They literally would reach up to a, a cheap clock that they had duct taped to the dash of this fighter and wind it to keep it going. And you're trained to do that to, in order to have a little downtime to think through what you're going to do next. And in the amount of time it takes him to reach up and crank that dial, he is uh, uh, hearing, uh, you know, th- thinking through, okay, well, it's kind of a nice day. Would I go out? Shall I go out across Los Angeles and over the ocean and ditch there? He's like, well, no. First of all, I'm, you know, that's that's a lot of people, and I can't go over with an armed missile over a lot of people. And then I don't want to be the guy who lost the forty million dollar airplane. So he then thinks it through. This morning, he's like, the weather's pretty good today. I think I can probably make it. And by God, he lands it. He, he totally <gasps> like goes, does the corkscrew, and comes in and lands a plane with live armament attached. Oh, and makes it right. And that's what are they? What are they telling him at the base when he's like, "Hey guys, I'm flying in hot." I wonder. I I, I bet there's a procedure, right? Air Force people probably have a procedure for yeah, that. Yeah, they okay. get in their car Execute and they step fuck yeah, run, run. <laughs> that's right, out into the desert. <laughs> they get every general within totally. a mile radius. You know, but I, I said to him like, I don't understand how you're able to do that. And he's like, Yeah, we're just trained to. You know, we. We have that ability, you know, and, and that's true when you look across all, uh, uh, you know, there's another astronaut story. This guy, Franklin Chang Diaz, was a, was a Costa Rican national who, who uh, uh, was an astronaut uh, on the shuttle. And he narrowly avoided being killed in both the Columbia and the Challenger disasters. He was training for both and through a fluke of scheduling did not go on either and saw all of his friends and colleagues killed in these two disasters. I mean, an unbelievable Whoa. tragedy for this guy twice. And he still whole, uh, shares the record for the most times in space, uh, and uh, you know was uh, has done more. I think more spacewalks than anybody else, or something like that. He's just an absolutely superlative human being. And he had this story of uh, floating out there with uh, this, you know, sixty million dollar piece of equipment that he's got to move from this place to this place or whatever. And as he's doing it, he looks down, and the clouds have parted beneath him, and there's Costa Rica. And he realizes, I'm the, I'm the only person in my, of my nation who will ever have this view, um, you know, in all likelihood. And he's got his camera attached to his belt. And he was, said he was thinking to himself, I can just reach down and grab the camera and take the photo uh, of, you know, that all Costa Ricans will have on their wall, basically. I'm sure he didn't have that thought. But, to, you know, to me, that's right. what it is. And he doesn't do it. Because he would have had to let go of this piece of equipment and go for the camera, you know, and he's got a duty to perform. He's like, they put me, they brought me here to do this job, I'm going to do this job, and he scoots it over. But to, again, that's a piece of programming that he's resisting, you know, like by his training and his steadfastness and whatever it is in his brain, like, man, the guy doesn't just do what I would have done, which is throw the piece of equipment out into space and take, you know. Yeah, training is a fascinating thing, right? The, the idea of developing your skills and your mindset to the point where you can do extremely dangerous things and keep your composure. And that, that's, uh, that's, it's, it's, it's very attractive to us. We're, we're fascinated by heroes. Right. That's why. And we need them. Yeah, we need them. We yeah. need them. We need them. They have to be able to do that. Well, even when it doesn't mean anything like this, I think that's part of the reason why I think like X games and stuff along those lines, mm. it's part of the evolutionary process to compete against each other, to see who can do the more and more fucked up things. Yeah, sure. And that there's something that gets developed along the line. Totally. It's testing the limits of the human body. I yes. think everybody just really wants to be able to fly or do whatever. You know, the, the, there's, there's this extreme, it's cliche to say it, but right, an extreme. You're trying to find the extremity of, your, of, the li- of life. You're trying to find how close to death can I get. And know? in finding the limits of human performance, and I think it's a, a part of the grand equation of sure. the human race, period. It's like it is a part of the, of, of the, the numbers. Right. Like now we know that. 
that people can run a four minute mile. Now we know that people can do that. You know, it's all of these things sort of aid in the the progress of the race. Yeah, that's right. In some strange way. Well, you need you know you need the person to go first. You need the person to come pull people out of burning buildings. There's a there's you're absolutely right. There's a there's a you know a, a purpose to having that kind of alpha person. You but know. as we become a more and more advanced society, that need is sort of it Maybe recedes. it's going away. That's interesting. I, I think it is. I mean, that's why a guy like you can, you know, you're obviously a successful, intelligent guy, but you're like joking around about, oh, I can't handle fear. Right. But you know, it's because you don't have to. Yeah, I never, and I never will. That's exactly right. Well, I mean, that's you not might. true. That's not true. I'm, I might, right? And, and I have in my personal life experienced, you know, extreme situations. I'm sure everybody has. Everybody has tragedies in their lives or, you know, stuff that's gone on. But, you know the 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 cons- the consistent ability to to resist fear and do you know the needful in the face of terrible odds that is a crazy thing you know at the same time though we're also you know we just did a story recently about how um there's a whole darpa um, challenge around creating rescue robots that would that would replace firefighters would replace people not in all circumstances but in circumstances like Fukushima where there's uh, radiation you can't send people right into the middle of it but you want to be able to send in a robot that can cut its way through a door look around maybe bring somebody back and so the challenges that the the DARPA are putting out there include like literally being able to cut through a door with a sawzall. Uh, you know, uh, drive a car. The thing has to be able to get into a car and drive away with it. It's literally like the the rules have been written by an eight-year-old. I mean, it's incredible the challenge that they're putting out in front of these people, and people are doing it. The DARPA robots are some of the creepiest things that have ever been created by humans. <laughs> Those dogs, they, yeah. and cheetahs, totally. And the the one that looks like a it looks like a pack mule. They're disturbing to look things. at. The, right? la- the latest model can throw things now. I forget, like bricks. I think it is. It can Whoa. throw bricks. Crazy. Oh, it ejects. Yeah, 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 I've yeah, seen yeah, yeah. That. yeah, yeah, yeah. There, yeah. There's a whole also. There's a whole field of study around trying to make robots. We were we were messing with this on our cover when we were putting together the cover a couple of issues ago. We put one of these robots on the cover um, from Virginia Tech. It's a real robot. What we put in there is like actually what it you know could someday look like. It's definitely what it's headed for, and uh, they've built the legs and the whole thing. It's just unbelievable. But um, when we first put the cover together, it was reaching for you, trying to save you through a broken window, basically in this sort of ruined environment, um, which is the, the the environment that the thing is going to have to compete in. But it looked like it was reaching for you to kill you. Like it was a scary cover. The robot looked frightening, and the we decided in the end, like, wait, we got to make this thing not look like it caused all this damage because we as people are terrified of uh, robots. They just look scary. And if you make them all black and militaristic, you know, like, you know, the graphite look yeah. is scary. And so you got to paint them like ambulances is what look these this, guys are all learning. Look at this robot throwing a cinder block. It just whips While a cinder block. itself, yeah. It's pretty yeah, crazy. but look how it uses its legs too. I mean, yeah. it, it does also, like a, a shot putter, like it kicks it. <laughs> Yeah, that's a cinder block, that's, man. Yeah. I mean, could a human even do that? And what if that's a grenade instead of a cinder block? Yeah, you show this to little kids, and it just scares the hell out of them. Yeah, it's something like Star about the Wars. legs. Yeah, it's a creepy spider-looking thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like our natural instincts would be terrified of that. Do you totally. see that tarantula that has antlers? It's got a defect that's growing antlers. It's a real tarantula. Yeah, here, I'll no. show you. it's crazy. There's another uh, robot that they've found of. Um, they've invented that drives up to a wall and then can spring. Yeah. Up through the air, and yep. like it can it can clear like these big walls. Totally, we give that an award this year. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. It can jump like thir- you know thirty or forty feet. It can clear a single story building. The idea being that it can uh, you know get in wherever you need it to. Right, you're up on a ridge, you send it down, and it can leap you know off a cliff. That's the other thing is you can roll it off a cliff and it'll survive the fall. It's incredibly hardy. <laughs> it's crazy. Look at that. 
This is a tarantula that has grown at birth defect that started growing antlers. Whoa. Wow. And, and Jamban's scared of spiders, we just found out, because he can't even look at this photo. Yeah, that's a weird <laughs> yeah, I don't looking like that thing, those little antlers. Well, that's like when a person's born with a tail. You're like, what? What is going on yeah. in the genome where that's representing that's itself? Cats. That's yeah. a strange, strange little animal. Yeah. Well, spiders in general are creepy as fuck. Yeah, no, I, I have trouble with those snakes. I have the like the natural evolutionary response to snakes. They just the the that sp- sp- literally spineless quality. What's that called? Spine, Aphidophobia. Is that what it's called? Uh, no. Arachnophobia. Arachnophobia spiders. spiders yeah. yeah, I think it's called aphidophobia. Uh, yeah, it's very common though. Sure. Yeah, they, they just move in a way that I'm not. My eye doesn't like to follow. Well, yeah. people that um, you know, I think the proponents of epigenetics. Would, would say that it's probably somewhere in your evolutionary past or somewhere in right. your genetic past, rather, that someone got fucked up by a snake and either some one of your right. ancestors saw it yeah, right. or one of your ancestors was wounded. And, we, and we did a story about... Um, we have a section of the magazine where we basically ask incredibly dumb questions of incredibly smart people, and, uh, and it's great because they, they play along in this wonderful way. So one of them was, um, what's the world's grossest sound? And literally, there was a guy who had, you know, done a study to determine it, and he had determined that the sound was the sound of vomiting, that uh, that, and they simulated it by pouring a, a bucket of baked beans into another bucket while somebody else was making yakking noises. They and they played hmm. all these different noises for people, and that was the one that was grossest. And the reason they think the evolutionary th- purpose of that, in theory, is that when you, as a group, you know, were eating diseased you know, uh, elk or whatever around right. a, a fire, you know, 20,000 years ago, um, and someone started to get sick, everyone would know it and would also throw up so that no one ate, you know, and no one in the tribe ate the diseased That uh, totally makes sense. Isn't I've always wondered why, like, well, that also, by the way, can be bypassed. And I can tell you that from personal experience because when I was a kid in high school, if, like, someone threw up in the hallway, which right. always happened in school... I would start throwing up, and a lot of sure. other people would start throwing yeah. up too. You know, no, it's a, it's just built in, like that scene in Stand by Me where there's totally. a pie eating yeah. contest. Totally. These throws totally. up. Well, that doesn't work on me anymore huh. because of all my years of Fear Factor. I've seen so many people throw up. I've seen th- really, yeah, that's I've really seen, interesting. Huh. I don't know how many people I've seen throw up. I saw I had, we did 148 episodes, <laughs> and every episode somebody threw up. You uh, totally are a test case. That's yeah. really interesting. So nothing that's makes funny. me throw up anymore. Yeah, like I, think... I could be right next to someone throwing up on the ground, and it doesn't bother me. Huh. In fact, my wife threw up in her car once. And um, she was all upset because she couldn't clean it because she would throw up again. I was right. like, I'll clean it. Like, it didn't bother me at all. Interesting. I, the smell of puke in her car wow. in August, and it, it didn't just bother away. me at all. That's, that's, it totally great. goes away. That's great. I can be at a bar, and someone threw up in the urinal. I'll pee on it. It doesn't freak me out. Wow. Yeah. I think the grossest sound is two guys fucking anyway. I don't think How do you know what that happen. sounds like? <laughs> Busted! Oh, shit! I got you, son. <laughs> well, unless you were gay, then that would be the most exactly. awesome sound ever. Well, that was like the the idea of like, do gay guys get accustomed to the smell of poop? Of you know, of is that Ooh. is that like an okay smell to them because they're into anal sex? I don't know. I mean, the, the, what what causes certain connections? What causes you to be repulsed by certain things is is always very fascinating. Yeah, sure. You know, sure. 
that, but that thing of the the throw up sound. Yeah, isn't that funny? Totally makes sense. Yeah, it just makes a, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I yeah. think that's right. It, and you know, anything liquid, smell squishy. of a de- death is, I think, also actually the worst. The Have you smell, ever death the smell of it, and that is also that's also a useful animal. instinct. I would oh, say, yeah, yeah, when you yeah, smell yeah. it, you want to go the other way. That's yeah. a good idea. Well, yeah, when I was a kid, someone died in our apartment building, and they didn't find the. It was an old lady, oh. and they didn't find her body for a while. Yeah, and it was the entire floor had this horrible horrible odor to it we would walk in you know and then eventually they found out that this lady had died and they they went and cleaned it up but the smell lasted forever sure sure it took the longest time to clean that out it's not like any other dead smell yeah no i mean it's it really is that thing of like it it's also dude we were talking many hours ago about uh trying to have as few openings as possible in the body. Mm-hmm. That's the other reason you do want as few as possible because there's some some stuff you got to keep in there. You don't want it out in the world. And I think the fear of that smell is probably to discourage predation. Yeah, and... and you uh, know, when we were really starving to death and people would find a dead person, they right. go, well, fuck it, man. We might as well just eat them. Yeah, or I we, bet we, that is part of it. I, or I would, I would, I'm sure one could make that argument. And, you know, the feeling of, of there being, uh, you know, a, a purpose to... Uh, staying away from, you know, you know that like dysentery results right. from, you know, if you don't have adequate waste systems and people are around, you know, if it infects the drinking water, like there's so many reasons to stay away from, from, uh, yeah, the, the dirtiest parts of people. That's right. Yeah. The evolutionary desire to escape stinky people. <laughs> That's right. Right. That's right. You know there's a yeah. whole thesis there. I'm sure. Somebody's yeah. Why that. is bad breath so horrible then? Uh, I mean, that can't really affect you for real. I guess it can. Maybe if the person's sick though, right? Sometimes it can be a symptom of disease. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, maybe that's why. That's right. This guy's not well. I yeah. got to get out of here. That's funny. Well, listen, man, this has been a fascinating conversation. Dude, this has been fascinating. You guys are good company. This is really a, a lovely place. Anytime yeah, you'd like cool. to do this again, we'd be more yeah, than let's happy do it. to have you on. You're way, I, I'm just to say this right now, but you, you guys are like on it. This is a much, uh, like I was on my toes this whole time. Like, you know, no dummy, Joe Rogan. No oh, dummy. Well, thank I mean, you. Yeah. I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah. Uh, if you want to take mushrooms and hang out with, Brian in a dolphin <laughs> tank. I'm sure we can uh, accommodate you. See, I wonder if there's like experiments going on like that. Because I, mm-hmm. if I had a dolphin, that's I would funny. be doing weird things like there's that. Two, well, there's definitely two researchers who could compare notes and come up with the you know something yeah. like that. Well, that's, that's right. why you should read Lily, bro. Yeah, you should I read should. some of John Lily stuff. He was a pioneer in interspecies communication. He actually like you know peer reviewed stuff on dolphin nice. intelligence because of psychedelics and, and getting in dolphin tanks or getting in uh, isolation tanks. You need to take an isolation tank trip too, man. All this crazy poo pooing of it. Without any no, I'm not experience. poo-pooing it. I'm just saying that, that I'm sure it doesn't work on some people because I've had, had people tell me it didn't work on them. That word many doesn't times. work is like saying, you know, I have a computer and I don't know how to t- get on the internet. Well, I think, like, you know, you some know people's minds are just too active to slow down to the point where that would be, you know, helpful for them. Like they're, you know, almost ADD people. I agree, probably, I agree with what that. you said, except the word too. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe that, that their minds are too active. I believe their minds are active. I believe they don't know how to manage that. But that can be taught. The amount of emails that I get every week, the amount of Twitter messages and Facebook messages by people that have positive experiences in isolation tanks and how much it helps them and changes them. Fighters, a lot of fighters started using them to meditate mm. and to, to, mm. to practice relaxing. Plus, it's an awesome source of magnesium. You just need to do it, me, dude. I mean, it's so crazy that you haven't done oh, it. It's yeah, not I like totally you're busy all day. No, no, what I is totally that? Destroy it. hat. What is that? Destroy? I don't it's know. It's just a, a cool hat, hat I got. Yeah. What is that on the hat? Uh, the dude on a rocket? I think it's the Red Satan. Skull or dude. Satan. Satan or a Red Skull on a rocket. Dude, that's, that's fucking badass. That's cool. Where'd you get that? San Diego. Powerful San Diego. San Diego's awesome, isn't it? I, I, I would almost move there if it wasn't for the military uh, 
like presence presence in there like the people are all ex-military so everybody acts like crazy like the bouncers of every bar are so much more strict and intense and <laughs> like this woman came up to me and i was smoking a cigarette and she goes are you smoking pot and i'm like no this is a cigarette she goes let me see that okay and she just walked away well, who and i'm was like she? what the fuck no i had no idea who a she lady was lady on she the street was, yeah she was you could tell she was military chick though yeah yeah and then it was just like that was everywhere i went it felt like that and then and then i don't know it just it just felt that is a side effect. effect strict, strict that, town that's without a doubt a side but effect of a military area if i could live near mission bay i tell you that is the most beautiful area and in oh, the yeah. sea what is that sea lions those retarded animals of the night that just go <laughs> like listening to that is some of the funniest shit ever yeah. because out of nowhere that one would just go like, oh you're like what the yeah, fuck is well, going on by know. the way that's also what attracts sharks oh really yeah uh, sharks love to eat the fuck out of those things I feel bad for those guys they're yeah. just like they're big just, fat retards big that live meat in the popsicles city. right yeah. that's what they're that's there right. for I think so delicious it's probably what they're there for I mean yeah. what else are they doing they're yeah. providing food to sharks just looking up in the sky like, yeah you ever seen Running those for it. poor walruses that, that polar bears run up to and they can't get away they're, they're on the ground yeah. why can't they get away because nature doesn't want you to get away dummy that's it, yeah, you're someone's, a big meat sickle. Someone's got to yep. feed this big guy. Yeah, yeah that's, oh, right. Oh. that's right. Uh, well, listen, man, thank you very much. Yeah, we, appreciate really it. appreciate this. I'm so Me glad too. we did this, and uh, let's do it again. Yeah, sounds great. And uh, you could follow Jacob on Twitter. What is your uh, Twitter handle? You got a it's bunch. It's got of an lines underscore. I was shit. I was late. I'm sorry. So anyway, it's, it's underscore Jacob Ward underscore. But Can you, you get Jacob Ward? Just search for my yeah. Search for my name, and you'll just find me. Okay, Jacob Ward. Jacob Ward it's it's underscore Jacob Ward underscore. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, what? Yes. You need to change that. I don't say it out loud ever. I would say this is right. the only time I've ever had to say it out loud. It's well, easy like, to find. Ward just science. Just go Jacob Ward. Uh, just look for my name on, on Google. You'll find it. Do you it. have a little uh, check next to your name so everybody knows it's the real you? Are you verified? Oh. No, you're not. Oh, you're not I don't verified. even know. I, I, I don't right. even know about that. It. I haven't even done that. I'm sorry. Yeah, once you get... You got to get into that world of fake Jacob Wards. And I guess gonna so. Go, God damn it! I got to get verified because a bunch of people are gonna have fake Jacob Ward accounts and post a bunch <laughs> of non-scientific shit <laughs> and, and, and attribute uh, it to you. That's funny. That yeah. could happen. That's funny. You know what sucks, Joe, is that I don't have it, and I have a bunch of fakes that are actually acting like me and stuff like that. And I just found out there's this uh, guy that's on. Uh, Twitter that has like 2,000 Twitter followers, and his name is like Spilled Bag of Ice. Yeah, and and, and, and he's verified. Huh. He's verified. A bag of ice. Let me show you this. I know that account because oh. you, do you know what spilled bag of ice came from? No. came from a UFC fight where a bag of ice spilled in the octagon, oh, and nice. I gave a whole commentary for like three minutes on these guys cleaning up the ice because it was so ridiculous. Yeah. And I was like, get back in there. And it was funny, and so this guy became spilled bag of ice, and he's verified. And he's verified. That's the internet it's, telling you to go fuck yourself, Fucking, pal. yeah, I'm done. Listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and Wikipedia. I bet, he's, I bet he's got a Wikipedia page, too. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm escape and live a dolphin. So I don't Someone care. can tell you how to get verified. I'm sure there's a there's a convenient way to do it. You just have it, to find yeah, it. Yeah, it's supposed to be if people if there's enough people that are acting like you. And there there's so many people, like I even like, I, I don't even say who, I know is acting like me online. And people are actually asking him questions like, hey, Red Band, what's going on? You're talking about that crazy dude yeah, that we yeah, both yeah. know? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But you know what? You have the most, right? Huh? What? How many? Yeah, but it's many, just annoying that there's f- at least two people maybe that are thinking this is him. I don't know, man. You've made know. it. That's what this is. I think you've made it. I you've got people went. pretending to be you. I just want a check mark. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, he just wants he wants a Wikipedia page and a blue check mark. The kid's illegitimate. He's hurting. He's hurting on the inside. <laughs> underscore Jacob Ward underscore or do a Twitter search for Jacob Ward on Popular Science Magazine, editor in chief. Solid. Thank you very much, man. Appreciate really, it. really awesome yeah, time. Thanks, guys. It was awesome. Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning into the podcast. We apologize again one more time for that drunk podcast of last week. But that's what happens, no, no. folks. That's the best one. That's what do. happens when you go off the rails. Let's submit that to the podcast awards. Um, uh, thank you to Ting for sponsoring our podcast. Go to rogan.ting.com and save 25 bucks off. Uh, it's a service credit or device discount. Um, and uh, it's uh, an awesome cell phone company that supports our podcast. Uh, thanks also to uh, Squarespace. If you go to squarespace.com forward slash Joe and enter in the code JOE3, you can save yourself 10% off of any new website that you develop on Squarespace, including the, uh, the ability to create your own online store, which is very fast and very easy. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. And remember, squarespace.com forward slash Joe, enter in the code word Joe and the number three together to save yourself 10%. Uh, that's this, this is the month of March if you're listening to this. If it's April, I'm sure it will be Squarespace 4. But right now, it's Squarespace 3. You mean Joe 3? Joe 3. Joe yeah. Three. What the fuck am I even talking about? Uh, also, onit.com. Go to O-N-N-I-T and use the code name Rogan to save 10% off any of the supplements. We will see you tomorrow with our buddy J.D., who's a, a longtime uh, member of uh, the website. And then we'll be here on Wednesday with Ben Hoff from uh, Comedy Central's new show. What is this show called? The Ben Hoffman Show or something like that? Mm -hmm. But very cool guy and uh, very funny guy, and we'll see him on Wednesday. All right, my friends, this weekend, Nashville at Zany's, me and powerful Tom Segura, um, Friday and Saturday night. Uh, tickets are going fast. There's not much left, so get in there, son, and we'll see you tomorrow. We love the shit out of you. Bye. Bye.